The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Radicat. You can find me at Radicat on Twitter. You can find me at News Nurse Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. And the sound effects you have just heard come from another other than our man in Brooklyn. One agent underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? Hello, Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, you can find this here podcast on the Coastal of the Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find us on, the, on uh, your podcast personal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple, iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coast of the Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And we are here tonight to bring you comics, as we tend to do um, each week. Uh, I will say shout out to all my gamers uh, watching the Game Awards as we speak, which is probably should just about to go off, but you know, because. I have a feeling there will be some news in the next time we record from that uh, for some comic book related video game news, I suspect. But we will see about that. But for now, we are going to get into just a little brief uh, couple of minutes uh, impressions, a recap of Hawkeye uh, episode four, which just released the day before today's recording. So we, there won't be any spoilers or any big spoilers if there are any. So Right. We're going to try to keep it spoiler light. And, you know, I was about to say, I think it's a little hard to promise no spoilers at this yeah. point. But we're going to try to keep it spoiler light. So in that regard, I am going to ring the spoiler bell. So if you want to avoid everything that we talk about and any minor mention that we might make of what could be spoiler material for Episode 4 of Hawkeye... Make sure to tune away or fast forward once the spoiler bell hits in three, two, one. The spoilers are inbound. Yeah, I should really put a timestamp on, on, on these like I did at one time. But nevertheless, um, so yeah, Hawkeye episode th- four, excuse me, I was about to say three, which is called uh, Partners Am I Right, I believe is uh, the name of it. Yes. Um, I, so there's one big thing that happens in this episode and it's, uh, someone 
not necessarily gets introduced, but somebody shows up that we were expecting from another movie to show up finally did. Uh, and that's kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but before, um, so, so, but, but I wanted to go ahead and get that out of the way. Cause if you prod it, probably if you've been keeping up with your Marvel movies, specifically one of the last three <laughs> that has come out, you probably know who that is. Mephisto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so people are still making that theory too I'm sitting here like okay y'all need to give that up <laughs> even with Hawkeye I've seen like a, a, a easter egg video I'm talking about like you know this 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 Mephisto you know exactly so. exactly but uh, you know I mean we you know the, 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 the episode does pick up where we left off at the end of episode 3 we're not spoiling anything but just to give everyone a general idea of what's been you know what's going on and uh, we get a little bit of a sit down between uh, some of the main protagonists in the series and possibly some of the antagonists who, you know, we're not sure yet what role uh, Kate's mother and possible future stepfather may have in the story. So it's kind of an interesting way to start the episode with a, a little bit of a, a sit down conversation. But coming off of that we have uh, a, a bit of sleight of hand on Hawkeye's part, and he's able to uh, retrieve something. And ultimately, the two get to re- regroup at uh, Kate's aunt's apartment. And uh, ultimately, they're able to figure out, you know, kind of start to lay down uh, some plans on how to proceed. And, uh, you know, things obviously never go to plan in the MCU. And that's where we get uh, some of the character interactions that Roddy Cat was just referring to. Mm-hmm. I was actually kind of bummed about that beginning part because I was hoping for a specific recognition unless they're still playing that, try to play that close to the vest, but I don't think they are. Recognition? Yes. Uh, uh, between two characters who in the comic books have a history. Oh, I see. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and, 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 and it makes sense that they wouldn't have that kind of recognition because of the MCU and mm-hmm. ultimate universes being closely aligned in Hawkeye's origin. Correct. But, you know, but they could kind of, I mean, they still very well could be like, oh, wait, I knew you under another name and then, you know, do something like that. Although it still wouldn't work out because the, the character knew each other under the names that being used now. So. Right. Um, whether they to toss to, to toss that in from the six one six or not, so at any rate, yeah. So we get to that, and also actually just like going going from that and from the conversation with um, with uh, Eleanor and and Clint uh, right there, like that right that little conversation right there is like like yes, yeah, she's been kind of showing little hints of Eleanor's been kind of showing little hints of stuff in in you know from the get go, and you could kind of play off part of that conversation as in well like you know some of the stuff she said was probably news that got you know got out all around the world right but at the same time it felt like it was like she knew it almost felt like she knew a little bit more to the about the situation than than not not necessarily the particulars but you know like she had some way to kind of figure you know like she kind of knew a little bit more than she's um than she's letting on Right, and ultimately, we we you know we don't know much about Vera Farmiga's character 
still four episodes in. So we we don't know if this character is going to be around for the long haul in the MCU. We don't know that yet because there's definitely more to this character than we've been let than than what we've been given so far. Right. Um although when well, doesn't even know although I mean obviously her her comic um you know I'm I'm sure there's probably gonna be a little bit more of her her comic uh uh comic things that, that'll be in here at some point. Or we may end up find out what's the what's the real deal by the time this ends, obviously. Mm-hmm. So uh, but going from that, like like uh, it just ever said, we get the you know they get a plan gets an auction. Uh, they start kind of doing some sleuthing in their own ways. Hawkeye causes. So I'm just going. To, this is a slight spoiler. Small, he calls his wife, and I'm only saying uh, this uh, not because he's calling her because you know it's that it's that weekly checkup of the um, you know him trying to get home for Christmas. Right. But apparently she. Um, I was about to say I don't know about weekly, more like daily. Well, yeah, yeah, right. Weekly, as in the show, but you're right. Daily, as because of the in the progression in the in world progression, you're right, right about that. Um, but that being said, but he doesn't necessarily call for that reason. He calls because she he uh, was trying to get some information, and uh, obviously we know uh, at this point that she knows about his life as an Avenger and pro- and probably IE Shield. And I suspect, given given because of what he asked her to do, she also is probably a former Shield agent. Yeah, exactly. We don't know the extent of her involvement. We just don't know. You know, this might be one of the big reveals during right. this uh, during this series. So we'll see. Actually, it's kind of funny because I came over across the three, and I might have it in the, in the show notes of that. To my, she might be the MCU's uh, uh, Mockingbird. Right. I'll be disappointed by that because we already have an MCU Mockingbird. Kinda like we know, Agents of Shield is not necessarily, you know, canon as of that last week, last couple of seasons. But yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you on that. Like, and but we know that Mockingbird has had dealings with with um with Barton, right? So I would also be kind of um disappointed if that is the case. But at this point, like we, I feel like we can infer that she definitely knows more about the life than than that we've gotten to see from her. Right. I mean, we knew that she was familiar with it because she was friendly with uh, Natasha back in um, Age of Ultron and, you know, and familiar with Fury enough that he could be around their house. So we pretty much put screen as that she's probably former S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. Right. At the very least, I think that's probably the case. Whether or not she's going to be the equivalent of Bobby Morse is another story, and we'll see how that uh, plays out. But getting back to the episode, um, and, you know, and, and what we what we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, when I was going through that really quick, you know, b- believe it or not, this episode was uh, the shortest one to date of Hawkeye so far, but there's a lot of stuff happening. There just is. Uh, there's There are plenty of developments. A character gets introduced into the series, and... We're we're left to wonder how uh, Alakwa Cox's uh, uh, Maya Lopez fits into some of the stuff now, because of some of the actions that she takes during the, I guess, climactic battle scene at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. So you know we're we're kind of left to we're kind of left wondering you know and and one of the uh, one of the uh, the revelations that comes up 
as a result of uh, Hawkeye, the two Hawkeyes now um, getting, you know, locating this one artifact that, uh, you know, is kind of, you know, we're, we're kind of led to believe that it's um, more related to Hawkeye and possibly Laura Barton than anything else. So, right. Based because off... No, I was just going to say based off of based off of the uh the 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 artifact, the phone calls between Laura and uh, Clint as well as uh some of the notes that they find in the location where they locate the uh the watch, the artifact. Right. Which is kind of funny because the the artifact was what they called um I believe it was in one of those shorts, one of the earlier Marvel shorts. Is that's what they called whatever uh, um, um, Coulson went after. They just called it the artifact, and I think that ended up being the, the Cosmic Cube. Or mm-hmm. those happened one or two, but I can't remember what it was. So that's kind of funny you you say that. But this particular artifact, yes, was what we thought to be well, what people were thought to be believed coming from a fellow Avenger. Still could be the case, but I doubt it, especially given what they said in this uh, in this episode about that particular piece. So right. that part is just made things uh, curious about that part, because as as we said, there's a couple of things going on here. Um, and yes, so there is a part that started us off like they started off hunting one piece of gear that was close to Hawkeye. And it seemed like as of this episode, all of that's been retrieved and the rest of it is kind of going into this other other piece um, that um, has come up with note. That being said, though, uh, to keep it moving. Um, so. Yeah, I'm not sure what that one's about. No, you got to read. The, you got to read the, po- the 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 bit that uh, one of our co-hosts left us regarding wow, another. A, yeah, that's a book. Okay, without um... no, but it's it's. I read I read through it quickly, and I was like, oh, okay. So you'll understand. So so Roddy Cat will understand exactly what I mean when we kind of get to that portion of the show. Yeah, we'll get to that. But uh, to, to, but to get back on this quickly, so we can kind of get off of it to get to that point. Um, so yeah, they're. Um, there's a little slew thing. Uh, Clint actually kind of says, like, yeah, tells Kate that her in- in- uh, instincts might be right about the boy, about the about some uh, about Jack. Uh, they talk. She tries to cheer him up with some Christmas with some. Oh yeah, I was about to say I skipped past all that stuff in the apartment. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm bringing yeah. it up because it was a nice touching moment, and also like I told Agent Seventy uh, before. Uh, b- before the show, it was like dailies. The uh, the the makers of alcoholic frozen concoctions uh, got their product placement in a couple of times in, in, during the course of the series. It's kind of funny to see. Um, but yeah, so they they had, they had a, a little thing at the um, at the apartment. I believe after this is when he sent Kate to the Larpers. Right, right, and the Larpers promised to be a recurring set of characters in this show. I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's a good comedic relief, but at the same time, it may ultimately grate on my, uh, 
my my sensibilities will see. <laughs> no, no, I doubt they're gonna. I, if we see them, it'll probably be like one more time during the course of the next couple of episodes. But I doubt if it's gonna be anything like very much reoccurring. Let's know? let's hope. Yeah, I yeah, because it's, it's like that's. I feel like there's not much use outside of what they've been going. You know, like even this part probably would didn't necessarily need to happen, but you know, but it happened. So we might see him this at the very least one more time, which I don't know. I didn't have a problem with that part because it was like it is what it was, and we got a, we got at the very least a um, a person that showed up uh, in the comic series. Hopefully, what happens to him in, then because of the series doesn't happen here. Oh, grills, yeah, 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 yeah grills. Um, Kind of shows up again, and there's some talk of costumes, which I don't know if that's actually going to happen at the end of this either. But at the very least, for one, I'm maybe possibly. Oh, hold on. I, that was another. I knew there was another reason why I was bringing up the the, uh, the apartment scene because they brought up a very specific uh, thing from the Hawkeye series in reverse because they were talking about trick arrows, and one particular trick arrow in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, was brought up. I'm like, how are you gonna do the how are you gonna do the boomerang arrow like that? So and obviously this Hawkeye Clint Barton is kind of not the same as the the Hawkeye in the comic series. We, in the six one six, right. Yes in six one six so there is that because he was the one who was championing for the arrow and and every and the you know the suit that he wore in the six six classically to wear Kate is the one kind of saying, hey, you should get the suit, you should get this this arrow, or or why not have this arrow, and then he's the one kind of poo-pooing this, arrow, uh, this stuff in the MCU. So I'm like, I appreciated the fact that the conversation came up, but... <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely weird, especially for people who kind of have pushed the ultimate versions of many of these characters to the wayside, because that's what Marvel has done, really. So, yeah. you know, other than Miles. So... You know, what, what What it comes down to is, you know, realizing that in the MCU, you know, at least for Hawkeye, they really have taken a lot of the ultimate version and basically made him, you know, an, uh, an arrow, bow and arrow wielding assassin. And right. that's really what it came down to. And they've, they, they've kind of uh, stepped fully into that uh, role, into that uh, aspect of the character in several parts of this show as they try to flesh out his character and backstory where they get to a point where in this episode he's talking about, yeah, I'm a weapon. You know, they point me in a direction and they let me go. So, you know, uh, he doesn't necessarily see himself as a hero even after all of his avenging. So mm-hmm. that's possibly one of the uh, mini story arcs that might get resolved during these last two episodes for Hawkeye and his character? Yeah, we'll see. We shall see. And getting to the end of this one, um, like Kate goes to the LARPer, Clint talks to Kazi, which I'm still not sure whether we're going to get the clown in this one because Kazi is the clown in the comic books, but yeah. we'll, we don't know whether that's going to be the case here. Doesn't seem like uh, enough time to justify bringing that up. And especially what happens to him, what happens to Clint and between Clint and, and Kazi in the comic books. Uh, but regardless, that happens, that happens. There's a break-in to who we find to be a, a person's apartment for this other item that we talked about earlier, and then the big fight that Agent 70 brought up um, a little while ago, leading to the revelation that 
and the revelation and the introduction to an, another person into this um, into this series that we have seen in the movie or in a movie particularly. And I suspect we will see again in the next couple of, um, uh, particularly the next episode, but definitely in the next couple of episodes because we only got a couple enough anyway. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this, um, you know, it's kind of sad because, you know, Clint's kind of gotten to be a, you know, because of this fight, Clint's like, nope, we can't do this. You got to go home. Right. That in this particular. It, it- if anything, he's really being the responsible adult. He really is. If there's anything that you can credit Clint Barton with at the end of this episode is that he's being the responsible adult. He's doing his best to uh, keep Kate Bishop safe, knowing that she, while maybe she's not a minor, she's still a college student. So she's still very young. Right. And, and, and you could almost see that being the case in the beginning of this episode to which when like going back to the uh, going back to the conversation between him and her mom. Right. So you, you could almost see that when right. coming in. They definitely use that as one motivating factor as well as a callback to something from Endgame as another motivating factor in mm-hmm. Uh, Clinton Barton's actions at the end of this episode. So, like I said, you know, we we definitely mildly spoiled things that were going on, but we definitely recommend, I think, I don't want to put words into Ryder Cat's mouth, uh, recommend uh, this Hawkeye series so far. It's been pretty fun. No, yeah, I'm, st- I, I'm still on that. Yes, definitely. Like, obviously, it will play a little bit differently if you watch them all like uh, all in a binge because I'm, I'm pretty sure at the end of this is probably going to be like what a good three four hours, probably a good four hours at uh, at set of this. So you can kind of hit that real easily, right? Um, and it will probably play a little bit better than it might to some people, but I'm still with it. So you know. listen, I'm enjoying. I definitely enjoy this once a week type thing, just because yeah. I'm probably a little too old school. So. That's funny because I was having the same conversation with uh, with somebody um, uh, uh, yesterday about that because it was like, yeah, like you and I come from a time where we didn't have binge watching. Mm-hmm. We didn't have, you know, we had to wait for the next season for, you know, we had to wait week week to week to to watch a show plus right. a whole third, you know, offset of time before the season comes back. So we didn't have this binge watching situation like we like people do now. And yeah, there are some benefits to it personally, you know. So, I, I still kind of dig it. Give you something to look forward to. Uh, but that being said, like I said, yes, great. Uh, been great so far. Hopefully, it'll be able to stick to the landing, and um, you know, we'll we'll get some questions answered. That being said, though, I think uh, we can move on. Yep. To the comic books of the week. And I believe we said, as I pull up uh, the covers, we said we're going to start off with um, Inferno number three. Yes, Inferno number three. A pretty important issue in the Hox Pox, uh, Reign of X, all this uh, all, all this Jonathan Hickman X mumbo jumbo as our uh, co-host... Tim Dog ninety eight is want to call Jonathan Hickman stuff. Inferno number three is written by Jonathan Hickman with pencils by the trio of R. B. Silva, Stefano Caselli, and Valerio Schidi. 
Inks are by Adriano Di Benedetto. Collars are by David Curiel. And letters are by VCs Joe Sabino. And when I said that this is, you know, probably one of the biggest and most important issues in this Hickman Mumbo Jumbo X uh, era, I am not, you know, I that's not hyperbole. That is not overstating things at all. I think this is one of the biggest issues to date for uh, Hickman's Mumbo Jumbo X-Men era because we get a flashback. All the way to the founding of Krakoa, like the the nascent days of Krakoa, where it's literally a twinkle in Charles Xavier's eye. We have information uh, that proves to be uh, important later. We even get some insight into why Krakoa stops being a mutant-eating island. (laughs) Right? Well... we got that part we had gotten like early on though because they i remember them explaining that one kind of a way but yeah we do but not yeah but not this way not more yeah. not 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 as fully this way let's put it that way we get a much more full explanation a much more fleshed out explanation of krakoa's let's say inaction or um you know lack of desire let's say <laughs> right some of his infrastructure uh needs uh some would say i guess um right so yeah you know, um, and it starts with that, and 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 we just, you know, we we uh, we pick up with uh, some of the events from last issue. Now, I'll, I'll hand it off to Roddy Cat with with uh, a meeting of the minds between, uh, and 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 I'm going to ring the spoiler bell here because there is so much here that is important that will be filling that will fill in lots of little holes. Not plot holes, but just holes in what, pe- what 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 maybe we've understood to happen so far, and why things have happened so far. So, if you want to catch up, you may want to uh, fast forward past this, or just go la 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 while I, while we're talking about Inferno number three. So, here comes a spoiler bell in three, two, one. Spoilers for Inferno three inbound. Go ahead. Indeed. So, what I find interesting about this is there was a real aha moment. That I'm I'm mad at myself that it took this long to catch, okay. because and and as Agent Seventy said, and as we were talking about, like this kind of goes back to the beginnings of uh, not even just with that. Well, actually, that kind of goes back to before that, but uh, or to the beginning of that, to the beginning of Hoxpox and kind of fills in some stuff, and it even brings some stuff forward. So as um, Agent Seventy said, we do get a meeting of the minds, uh, Mystique Destiny and uh, Emma Frost meet because this is after last uh, episode, uh, issue where. Emma finally finds out the whole situation from Charles and um, Magneto and wasn't sure, and they weren't sure how to take that and like whether she's going to be an enemy or whatever, which comes to their, come to find out. Yeah. They may not have probably should have told them, right. told her, but uh, because she sets up a meeting with mystique and destiny. And, but before that meeting to take place, destiny kind of tells the, the, uh, the stuff for cuckoos, a little bit about their fate, which I'm assuming I'm only bringing that up because I feel like that's probably going to come up. I don't know with if that's going to be in the course of Inferno, I doubt, or in the in the X books properly, because I guess you know this is. But but basically, there's some stuff to come, and we already know that there's some stuff uh, we'll talk about later in the news that's going to be upcoming in the X books. Um, but yeah, Emma and Emma Mystique and Destiny meet Emma pretty much. 
lays out what she knows about it to them. And I guess, uh, and they kind of go from there because it's not like Mystique and Destiny did not have their own thoughts about what's, what's going on, but they did not get, they don't have, they didn't have the full picture until now. Where they go from here, we don't know, but we just, but we do know that, um, <laughs> like that whole thing just kind of, as the title says, kind of sets things ablaze <laughs> in a big way. Right. Uh, um, um, and then we cut to the fact that, um, well, I guess we start, we do start to get a certain plan in order in a way because we cut to, um, uh, Charles and Eric talking, talking about the future, uh, but then get interrupted because prior to that, prior to that, Myra, Myra McTaggart gets snatched up off the street as we, and we come to find out who was the one possibly by, who was the ones behind, uh, doing that for what reason we don't, well, for what reason we kind of have an idea, but what we don't know is who they were working with or for, if anything, because obviously when you have a, um, a person who can see the future, you know, you can lay out some stuff, obviously. Uh, but Charles and Eric kind of go and do do that, and they get met with some, let's say, some pretty good resistance, right? Um, on that point. Right. But in because time, no, what I was going to say though, between uh, Omega Sentinel and oh, and Nomad, uh, right. Nimrod, excuse me. You know what I was going to say though? That whole well, I was about to say. I guess we haven't gotten to the to. I guess you kind of going in a in a in a in a bit of a circle when yeah. uh, you were talking about what uh, Professor X and Magneto kind of run into because Admiral Akbar knows exactly what that is. <laughs> Indeed. So go on. It I'm is. sorry to interrupt. They did not, yeah, but they didn't know it at the time. But we, we kind of, we ended up knowing it. Put it that way, right? Know, because they didn't really, really let that part be known until later on, right? And it's a pretty brutal way that they get suckered into that trap. Oh wait, too. you cut out. Hold on. Oh, what'd you say? I muted myself. Sorry. Um, oh no, they, they there was a, it was a pretty brutal way that they got suckered into that trap too. You know, that's True. definitely a mystique move right there. You know, we've kind of seen the uh, the the reemergence of Mystique as uh, a non-hero character. Like we have officially washed away all of Rebecca Romaine. Well, not Rebecca Romaine, more like Jennifer Lawrence out of uh, the Mystique character with the with this particular character turn. Yeah, not that she was far into that um, anyway, but she was just kind of on the quiet council, kind of quiet <laughs> up until. Up until recently, right. So yes, so there is that, and they, they end up in the track and, uh, trap. And like I said, we cut back to this um, uh, conversation between Omega Sentinel and Nimrod, and we get uh, um, an origin story of Orcus, which I'm pretty sure we have not uh, known about it. And come to find out that, and this is where the aha moment comes in. One. It's pretty much a reverse of what Myra and and Charles and them were doing on the mutant side, but for Orcus's side, right? And then and it, it is even said in the course of this conversation that this is basically a reverse days of future past. Mm-hmm. It actually comes up in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And it was at that moment I was like, "Holy shit! Why didn't I pick that up earlier?" Mm. Um. And kind of a terminated situation also, but, you know, Days of Future Past, let's just stick with that. 
Um, and it's going into that, we get the origins of, of Orcas and, and Omega Sentinels. Um, uh, I don't know what that one page was about the, um, before the start of that, um, or when that conversation started, but I assume that has something to do with where she's originally from. But I don't know. Which, it seemed which one page is that? Um, it's when Nimrod was like, well, right before the page where... Oh, the one with like the 21 and all that? Yeah. Uh, I think like, that I think we I think our our um I think our review copy got uh hijacked by something. I'm not sure because I well I, yeah I'm not sure. I, I was kind of wondering that about that but I don't know if that's the case cuz it feel like it's kind of in line with the conversation weirdly enough but you might be right about that. But uh to just, but to bring it back home. Yeah, I was about uh, to say I, we what we can't do is compare it to a physical copy cuz I wasn't able to pick up my uh, pull this week so Right, and uh, any other copies we can get our hands on is probably the, won't be right at this particular moment. So mm-hmm. uh, we just got to go with that for whatever it is. It, it just seemed kind of weird not a place at first, but at the same time, it's like I don't know. There's parts of that seem like it maybe it's supposed to be leading into something we don't know. Right. Um. But yeah. So like I say, so we basically get uh, the origins of Orchid or um, Orcus. Excuse me, not Orchid. And. That's kind of leads us into to the end of this issue where Charles and Erica are, are, uh, fall for this trap right. and get the, the resistance, like I said earlier, meet this uh, heavy resistance. Exactly. So as you know, j- just to recap, there are so many little things that this issue does and provides for increasing your level of understanding of all of Hickman's uh, ex-mumbo-jumbo. And this is going to be a vital issue for anyone who wants to figure out what they've been reading because it's not – listen, it's it's not unheard of. It's not the first time that we've seen a, a, a like a, a, a mystery organization all of a sudden be in full force and effect at the beginning of a story and proving mm-hmm. itself to be – uh, an adversary, but to find out how this uh, organization came to be in not even a roundabout way, in just a very direct way, we find it out right here in this issue. We're like, oh, okay, now all of that stuff at the very beginning makes so much more sense. And that right. I, f- I felt that was super informative and definitely increased, I think, my understanding. Sounds like with Roddy Cat as well. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to prove to be that's going to make this issue pretty pretty pivotal for most people's reading, right? And to find out that it was pretty much a parallel of what we saw in the beginning of almost a parallel of what we saw in the beginning of Pox Pox, in that you know the the origins of how this organization and the organ uh, and how the mutants came to be to this point, it, it was kind of uh, interesting in itself. Where it's going to lead, we'll see. Like they even touched on because I wasn't sure how far they were going to get into it. Stuff from the future stuff, like it didn't. It definitely tied in some of that stuff that we thought, like maybe they were saving for something else. But it's definitely kind of tying some of that in. Uh, there's still some loose ends on that part, also. But you know, like I said, there's a lot of stuff from Hoxpox that got thrown out there to where we know that was going to come back in, and a lot of that just kind of got folded in here to say that okay, here's what this is. 
keep on going from here. Now, right. the rest of that, I'm sure, will come out at some other point. Right. I, I would just add before we wrap up our discussion on this issue. Firstly, I thought one of my favorite bits of dialogue here is during the 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 meeting of the minds between the White Queen, Emma Frost, Destiny, and Mystique, where Destiny says, you know, you know, after it's revealed that Emma Emma has been uh, let in on the, some of the big secrets of Krakoa, and Destiny asks, how are you taking it? And I'm going to use this line afterwards. As expected, in stride and with no small measure of grace. I right. lost it. I was cackling with laughter when I read that. I'm mm, like, I definitely have to save that one for future use. And the other thing I wanted to mention just in passing is that seeing Destiny on the page and seeing how her clairvoyant powers are depicted and how she's giving these prophecies right, is obviously very reminiscent for people of a certain vintage when they think back to Destiny really wasn't a main factor in the X-Books or in comics in general until the mid-80s. And the mid '80s right. is when she becomes a somewhat prominent uh, figure, at least in the pages of X Men. I distinctly remember her from the Fall of the Mutant stories, and yes. just just before that, I think she was uh, running around with Mystique when she was running Freedom Force with the uh, mm-hmm. f- other former Brotherhood of Evil Mutants characters, and that's I think where we saw her most prominently in the '80s, and. I just remember just just always being kind of annoyed at her at her prophecies, but that was just the that was the the very young kid, you know the 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 not even a, a let's say preteen when I was reading that stuff, um, that or or even like early teen, yeah, preteen to early teen, where I was reading that stuff and 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 getting a handle on Destiny and her character, so. You know, I kind of flash back to, oh, you know, she's kind of annoying, but okay. You know, that's mm-hmm. just my, that's my, that's just my subjective two cents. I mean, I can see that because I, because at a certain point you think back on it, you're just like, well, now you could say like, well, she was just the exposition slash um, the foreboding that the books ended up having, especially in those events, you know, because anytime she says something, it was like, oh my God, or this, or that's like, the, you know, the end is coming or something like, you know, whatever, right, right. You know, whatever. And so she was pretty much that uh, piece of it. And at the time, and yeah, like you said, we were kind of young. You can see, I could see where that would be kind of annoying. But at the same time, like I said, knowing what we know now, <laughs> it was not like, okay, she was. I'm not gonna say vital, but she was a piece that. Well, yeah, but she was a storyteller. She was a, a, an element of storytelling, like you said, and it's just something that you don't necessarily appreciate at that age. <laughs> so, but yeah, like the, looking back on it now, it's like yeah, you you can see where she where she served a purpose, but right. yeah, back then it was like yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah, we get it. Can we get back to the X Men, please? You know. <laughs> So, but anyway, all right, I think we can move on from this. This is definitely a candidate for click of the week for me. Same. I would definitely say that because it definitely just blew the lid off of uh, a few different things. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. Next up, though, I guess, do we want to hit Amazing? Yeah, because that's really the only other book that we have in common because, oh, no, we have Hellions in common also. Oh, that and that Captain Iron Man book. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I was about to say, like, you could talk more freely about that. I didn't note. I didn't want to note that down, but you can definitely talk about that. Um, that's a, like that's kind of a <laughs> quick hit. <laughs> right, 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 right. So uh, I will cover the creative team on Amazing Spider-Man number eighty dot uh, Bayhive. Um, because if we say Bay, we have to say Bayhive, or else the Bayhive will actually come after us. So uh, this issue is written by Cody Ziglar. With art by Ivan Fiorelli, Carlos Gomez, and Paco Medina. Colors are by Rochelle Rosenberg. And letters by our favorite Paisan, VC's Joe Caramagna. So just as the previous issue number 80 promised. That was last week, right? Yes. So this sub, you know, this kind of um, sub-numbering, as it were, with the with the beyond... Uh, numbering the BEY. We, we're following this kind of uh, side story or running in parallel to the main uh, amazing story. And in this, we have uh, May Parker looking for any sort of clue and any sort of aid to help out these uh, doctors who just don't know what to do with uh, Peter Parker's condition. And, you know, just bear in mind, they've allegedly exhausted. Uh, the doctors, they thought about going to Dr. Strange and obviously he's indisposed because of the events of the death of Dr. Strange and even Tony Stark. And I'm like, uh, Reed Richards, anybody, <laughs> you know, seriously, like Reed Richards, anybody you're right, but, or Bruce, but at the same time, both of them are kind of tied into other things. Right, so. right, right. Just Reed Richards, anybody, you know, he's, <laughs> I'm just saying, so, but in this case, May Parker sees fit to hit up one of her old bows, and we're not talking about speakers. One of her old bows, <laughs> <laughs> that being Otto Octavius, and she basically uh, has to withstand some mildly uh, annoying sexual harassment to get Otto Octavius's help. Uh, to to uh, figure out a way to isolate what is affecting Peter Parker and keeping him comatose. And mm. without going too deep into this issue, which is very much the definition of filler, uh, they are I, successful? Yes. Which I was surprised about. I'm not going to lie. Um, because the end of this, just to kind of cut ahead, I'm not saying what happens, but like and eight to seven has been on the money and kind of been saying it, but I, I and the way this thing's been running is probably a lot better than the last um, the, the last arc of uh, of Spidey, but um, or the last event of Spidey, I guess you could say. But right, we've still got a little bit to go, and I know this is a shorter run because of because of um, how many times how often it's coming out. Regardless of that, I was kind of surprised that what happens at the end of the book happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get it. I absolutely get it. I I kind of was as well. Yeah. So yeah. So for, so a little backstory for those that didn't know. Uh, back a while ago, uh, I tried to block this out of my mind. Aunt May and Otto Octavius, aka Doctor Octopus, was a couple to the point of almost getting married. Uh, he was selling himself off as something. I, I, like I said, I very clearly remember and I try to forget about it because it's kind of icky. <laughs> um, and this story, this this particular issue didn't do anything to dissuade me of that particular <laughs> notion. 
especially with the way um, Otto was talking. Yeah. Um, but like I said, to 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 May's credit, she kind of handled it. The, you know, you know, she she handled it in a, in a way. She kind of played it to whatever to, to right. a certain she point. She definitely so, deflected yeah. and played defense. So. Uh, she definitely did a good job at that. And uh, it turns out that ultimately Otto shows that he has something resembling a heart at the end of this. Which, to, again, to his credit, for her, he definitely did even back then. You know, he, he for what would amount to love for Dr. Octopus, right. he actually care about uh, May in his own way. Um, and that still bears out here as given what happens at the end of this, even despite what happens before the end of this, mm-hmm. which honestly, when you're dealing with somebody like Dr. Dr. Octopus and Aunt May, if you know it enough about them too, even if you did not know they were together, kind of makes sense. It was like, yeah, there was going to be a boiling point and then, and it was just going to go the way it did and still something happens out of it. So, and there's really not much else to say about this issue outside of that, because as uh, as Agent Seventy said, it's, it's kind of filler. Um, which I we have talked about these little side issues, uh, especially in the last six to eight months, you know, mm-hmm. being more filler than useful. And again, that last um, last event slash arc or story that uh, an amazing kind of bit was a lot of that uh this one has one good thing coming out of it and that's what happens in the end exactly the exactly and, and you know what's funny is that there's a bit of a sidebar at the end where mm-hmm. uh editor nick lowe actually says hey um you know these particular beyond i mean Beehive tie-ins are super important to the main story because it's not every day that a tie-in includes something happening to one of the main characters that's important. So, sure. you know, I, I feel like that's almost like directly addressing what we were criticizing the previous um, dot, whatever uh, uh, issues from, from the previous Spencer run. So, right. but, uh, but in any event, I think that wraps our conversation on uh, number 80 dot Bay Hive for Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, oh, you have right. something else? So- so this is basically going into next issue uh, eighty one, right? Uh, which I believe, which I know a couple of issues have been uh, kind of leading up to this, which is kind of kind of getting back on track. And if the cover is anything to believe, there's going to be a meeting of uh, a couple of other spider characters. Yep. So I'm slightly looking forward to that because with this whole beyond thing, it's like I'm I'm still on the on the fence and thinking like, where is this leading? Especially with the end of this, is like, well, okay, with what happened at the end of this, it's like, well, clearly something's going to, this is starting to wrap up because if this is the case, it's not necessarily, take, not necessarily the case, but it's going somewhere, hopefully, mm-hmm. beneficial. But we'll see. Uh, that being said, like I just said, we can go to the, um, I guess. Hellions. Guys- That's the last book that we have in common. Okay, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll have that on. So, right. And Hell- what's funny is that Hellions is. I'll, I'll give off the. Uh, I'll, I'll give the. Um, the creative team and let you take the reins from there. Hellions number eighteen is written by Zeb Wells with art by Zay Carlos and Steven Segovia. Colors are by Rain Barreto and letters by VCs Ariana Mar or Mayor. Take it away, Roddy Cat. 
So, as I find, where did I put the doggone think? There we go. So, yeah, this is the last issue of the book. Um, and with that, this pretty much the whole thing gets wrapped up. I mean, I can't remember everything that has happened in this book, but because everything, a, a lot of stuff, well, some things. This book was kind of sort of on its own, mm-hmm. um, with the exception of yeah, um, the the sort of X stuff, and even then they were kind of still on their own in a way. I was gonna I say guess. I think the only the the last time I read an, uh, a Hellions issue in full was probably the Hellfire Gala. Right there. So I think at that point that was the last time I actually read a Hellions issue in full because this issue showed me in the recap page I had missed a ton. And mm-hmm. got, got me very much caught up with what has been happening in the pages of Hellions. So a lot has happened since the Hellfire Gala to this band of misfits. And I will le- I will hand uh, hand it back to Roddy Cat with what I would say is just the stories revolving around these particular characters, these misfit X ex- characters. The stories are not over yet. Because we don't have any sort of finality when it comes to them at the end of this uh, uh, particular story, save for maybe two. There we go. Yeah, I was I was going to say that. So yes, um, as the, so, if you're watching the video version, you can see the cover of it, and it says the final fate of Hadlians. Not unlike Fast and Furious, but definitely not that. Um, after the events of the last couple of issues, or particularly last I- issue, which um, the, the Hellions get into a trouble because of basically what amounts to the two that gets uh, the, the two people that gets uh, gets smacked with a with some sentencing, or one in particular, because right they get one, penalized pretty, the, you know, with the with you know because they what what it is without completely spoiling it for folks who may want to read this is that they break one of Krakoa's founding laws, which is what I was about to get to. Gotcha. Correct. Um, so they do that, and this is pretty much the quiet counseling, handing down the uh, handing down the sentence or the the ultimate sentence and that only one other person has gotten. And that is, and that has happened uh, at the beginning of Hoxbox. One other person has, has pretty much violated to, or violated this to a point to where to, to receive the sentencing. Um, so they're dealing with that and come to find out that, um, um, which I totally forgot that, uh, what happened to one of the can- ca- characters that gets sentenced that they had uh, died and or something had happened to them fatally um, that were, to where they needed to get uh, resurrected. Um, and I've been reading Hellion, so that's, an, that's about the side of the story. And they decided to share their fate with the person who, you know, was ultimately getting the brunt of the sentencing. And the rest of which, honestly, I'm kind of glad about because neither one of these are characters that I cared that much about, even going back to the old X Factor days. And I'm saying, even when they were on this book, I'm saying, like, why are they here? Um, but that being said, like I said, that happens, but the rest of the issue pretty much wraps up um, what happens to the rest of the team. And as Agent 70 said that, yeah, this is not necessarily the end of their stories, but uh, I assume, just like the rest of the Xbox, they'll probably show up in other places. Right. Um, 
including one curious storyline that we had that had been kind of teased a bit going back a few uh, issues uh, in that of which um, in one part that I just kind of forgot from a few issues ago um, that has to do with uh, Scott Summers' brother Alex, aka Havoc. Yeah, that particular plot line definitely was revealed to be not dropped and is probably going to rear its ugly head very soon. Yes, indeed. Which, you know, um, hey, these Xbooks kind of already no shortage of little plot lines so that they can go off of, but a lot of them have been going the way of, as we saw with uh, last week's New Mutants. And wait, did you finally read that, actually? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. You can go ahead and spoil it. I'll read it eventually. No, no, no. Basically, because we talked about it then, it was basically trying to um, validate uh, certain villainous mutants um, or reform or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Whether we're going to get that here, we don't know the case of that, but we definitely know that there's some shades of something going on with that little thing. Outside of that, like I said, the, the rest of the book, is just pretty much wrapping up uh, or getting the others to a particular place in their stories, I guess. Uh, I can do without seeing a couple of these characters again, honestly. Two of which I've already taken off the board. One right. other, you know, I never liked in the first place. Also, wh- whatever's going to happen with him, who knows? But we do actually get a fairly nice turn from a couple of people that there's, you know, because there's been something kind of brewing with them. Uh, that we may or may not see going forward. Who knows? But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it was pretty much a nice, neat wrap-up of the Hellion storyline, whatever it was, with the exception of, possibly with the exception of their dealings with uh, Sinister. But that also, which actually kind of reminds me, going back to Inferno, that got brought up then. Right. Between um, uh, Magneto and... um, No, actually, I think that was here. Where uh, they were talking about, uh, sin- no, that was here, actually. So uh, Emma Frost, and brings up a question, because uh, Emma Frost and Magneto was talking about Sinister and how he's this and that and the other, and, and sound like they have plans to deal with him at some point. Which leads me to the question, is like, is this before Inferno or not? I don't know if we can really gauge that. Because obviously, Emma is on the outs with Eric and Magneto as of, um, as of, Currently in Inferno. Right. It's hard to tell. I would say this is before Inferno. Maybe. But it's hard to tell. Uh, hard to tell. Right. There is, and there is no, because obviously this is the end of this book, so there is no reading list at the back of this issue. Uh, because, it's, uh, and as a matter of fact, at the end of Inferno, I believe the last Hellions book was 17, and that was before Inferno. Mm-hmm. So, who knows? Uh, where where this is. Regardless, it is what this is on this one. Like I said, we'll see some of these other people at some other point in the future, I'm sure, in other books. Uh, that being said, though, I guess we can go to Rapid Fire. Alrighty, I will spin it up. I ain't got time to bleed. Yeah, rapid Fire, fools. <laughs> All right, I guess I'll lead off. I think I have a, a, a maybe a book less, one book fewer than uh, Roddy Cat here. Uh, I'll start with Batman number one eighteen, 
It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Jorge Molina and Mikel Janin. Colors by Tomo More and letters by Clayton Cowles. So this is essentially the wrap-up to Fear State and I guess Future State. Because I don't think Future State covers Batman and... um, uh, uh, Oh my gosh. Is it Jace Fox? Jace Fox, yes. Right. I don't think it covers them not being in Gotham future state anymore right i believe they were still in gotham right so then we have officially we're about to eclipse everything that was in future state finally and moving on into new territory because uh this this issue basically moves us to close off a lot of the stories that have been popping up uh that have been going on in batman uh, and in the batman books over the last several months where Gotham is celebrating the ending of Fear State and, and, and uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the stop, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, let's just say the, uh, the, the canceling of the magistrates uh, plans for Gotham city and um, Simon Saint, his plans as well were all canceled. And we have what, Kind of amounts to a, a, a gigantic celebration for Gotham. Some villains try to to to, to break that up, and um, you know the Batman puts a stop to that. Ultimately, what we get at the end of the issue, though, is the start of Bruce Wayne's new journey as Batman, which is going to take him away from Gotham. It actually takes him to the to Southeast Asia where I recognize some Bahasa Indonesia being spoken, but in a fake DC country or DC location, because that's what DC does, you know, and they're poorly named as well. It's actually called Badanesia. I'm like, really DC. So, um, so at the end of the issue, we get, um, you know, a, a mystery for Batman to solve and the uh, injection of a classic DC villain that is not a member of Batman's rogues gallery. So that is Batman number 118. Next um, up. Wait, oh, wait, before you get to that. So this may or may not be interesting of, of interest to you, because if I'm not mistaken, I skimmed through Future State Gotham, which is, I think, just ended this past week or two mm-hmm. that right there. Cause it's basically Ray hood and, and Jace at the end of this. And I believe that ends that pretty much takes care of that part of getting him out of Gotham. Okay. If you're in that part, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I mean, I hadn't been, I hadn't been keeping up with that particular title. I was just thinking back to the original future state. Right. Limited series. Right. So, um, Next up is, I'm sorry for skipping around alphabetically, but I have the good Asian number seven of 10. So we are in the home stretch on this limited series, uh, this noir limited series written by Pornsak Pichetshot with art by Alexandra Tefenki, colors by Lee Luffridge and letters by Jeff Powell. So as I said, we are in the home stretch. This is issue seven of a 10 issue limited series, and we get lots of revelations. We got some in issue six, and we definitely got some here in issue number seven. 
definitely some double and triple crossing going on. This is a crime noir novel after all, a no- crime, crime noir comic book after all. And uh, there's plenty of backstory here explaining uh, at least one of the antagonist's story. Uh, this particular antagonist uh, has proven to be uh, the person under the mask at the beginning of the limited series. And we get some background into why they wear a mask. And unfortunately for the hero of our story, uh, things are not looking good for Edison Hark. They are not. So it's pr- it, it's pr- this is a pretty rough issue for the uh, the hero of our story. Next up is... Excuse me. Was this slated as a? Was this originally slated as a um, miniseries? Or? Yes. Yes. It's okay. always been a ten issue. Uh, this yeah. is one of the reasons why I've started off as I started off doing, uh, making notes of how long these miniseries are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, okay. you probably yeah. Uh, this is a little bit of inside baseball, but Roddy Cat will probably remember. I've started you know over over the last several months to try to take note of these limited series so I can say during our review sections how long uh, these particular stories are going to last. So, uh, you know, for example, Inferno uh, was issue three of four. So we have one issue left in Inferno. And in Good Asian, we have, uh, as of now, three issues left, eight, nine, and ten. So, uh, as I said, Edison Hark is in a bad way at the end of this issue. Next up is Devil's Reign number one. This is, I want to say, a six-issue limited series. I got a little sloppy here. I did not put in number one of six. But Devil's Reign is a six-issue limited series. And it is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Caquetto. Colors by Marcio Meniz and letters by Clayton Cowell. So this is a direct follow-up to the events in Daredevil, including Daredevil Matt Murdock getting out of prison and Daredevil Electra Nachios basically being his partner as a female Daredevil. We get we kind of catch up with the Stromwinds, who are like a, a, a rich one percenter. Uh, uh, family of uh, uh, of uh, political and and obviously uh, uh, moneyed elites in New York City who have been messing around, who have been messing with Wilson Fisk, and basically put him in power as the mayor of New York. And we have a little bit. We revisit them at the beginning of this issue, so it seems like they're going to be. There's going to be a renewed focus on those characters as this series moves forward. Ultimately, without spoiling this, spoiling this because uh, I think Roddy Cat will probably catch up with this at some point. The bottom line here is that something happens to Wilson Fisk specifically in this issue that causes him to go down the route. Actually, it's it actually happens. Um, it's kind of teased at the end of the Daredevil issue, but it, it really is brought to a head in the begin, at the beginning of this issue. And it's this particular catalyst that starts Wilson Fisk down what is a somewhat familiar road, and that being the Superhero Registration Act. But this is another aspect of the concept and the intent of that act. Right? It's not necessarily 
a means of regulating. It's more or it's more of an outlawing, let's say. And ultimately where that goes is kind of predictable, but it's still very well done because mm-hmm. Kiketo and Zdarsky uh, are a very effective team together. And we can see lines being drawn, sides being taken, and you know some of the some of the uh, more subtle dangling plot threads from the Daredevil series being picked up. So we will see where this comes out uh, in the next issue. But I thought this was a very effective first issue for this limited series. Next up is the finale of Black Cat. And it's a shame that Black Cat is going away for a little while, at least in terms of having a regular book. This is Giant Size Black Cat Infinity Score number one. It's written by Jed McKay with art by C.F. Via, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by Ferran Delgado. This is the consistent, and I give them all their flowers, all the props for being a consistent creative team for this volume of Black Cat. They have done an incredible job along with uh, Pepe Larraz on covers to really keep the the quality of this Black Cat book at a very high level. And I, without spoiling things, because I know Roddy Cat has been off of uh, this Infinity Score stuff, but we find out in this issue what the Infinity Score was what Felicia wanted with these stone wielders slash possessors, because uh, if you're not familiar, the Infinity Gems have basically bonded with uh, a disparate group of people around the world, as opposed to being uh, uh, just gems to be found. They have become somewhat sentient in that regard by bonding with people kind of... You know, you know, not unlike a Green Lantern ring, you know, searching out, you know, people who uh, would, you know, exhibit, you know, willpower in, in the Lantern ring regard. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, we still don't have the best grasp on all of these Infinity characters, these Infinity Gem characters. But we find out what Felicia Hardy wanted with them. And the series, this issue... Uh, helps the series end on a pretty fun note. So I really enjoyed this. I think uh, Jed McKay has a great grasp of Felicia Hardy's voice. We do get a little bit of uh, Odessa Drake and the uh, New York Thieves Guild in here, but you know, you know, there's no, there's definitely no finality to it. So those, that particular concept being revived is still in play. You know, uh, those characters are still in play as well as the black cat and her crew. So I really, uh, you know, just to wrap, I really enjoyed this issue. It's a lot of fun. It really brings together why this whole thing actually did matter a little bit. You know, it's not a complete throwaway in terms of a story. Uh, there's a great two page splash that CF via completely rocks. And I would hope that when Roddy Cat gets to that and, you know, and finally gets to uh, reading through this or at the very least flipping through this, that he'll remember what I just said and, 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 and see what I meant. Um, 
I'm looking forward to uh, Jed McKay hopefully being able to pick up the black cat again at some point because as i said he's got a great grasp of the character and the character's voice and that's it for me yeah as we and i feel like and we'll probably say this again closer to what we're already at the end of the year but um when we get to our deliberations we will probably be bringing back black cat again because it is definitely one of the books that we have consistently liked through this year and, and last year uh Thanks, you know, to the creative team uh, and their treatment—not their treatment, but their and their um, the, the way they did the the way they did the thing. Right. Look, I don't know. I was I would just add that comic book runs end. I don't necessarily know if McKay has more Black Cat up his sleeve. I think he does. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if this would have lasted beyond this Infinity Score thing. Because I don't know what the sales were. I really don't. I don't know if Black Cat was garnering enough sales to justify having her own title. But it's a shame that that if that is the case, or that was the case, that people were not reading this. Because it is absolutely worthwhile. It's a lot of fun. And the character was, I believe, reinvigorated by Jed McKay. You know, and giving her a great voice and a great take. And bringing in that... Uh, Ocean's Eleven style, you know, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, heist mm-hmm. storytelling. Right. And and I believe we probably said as much, even talking to her, when this whole, when, when he even started writing, because we weren't really sure how long this was going to last. I'm surprised it even lasted this long and, and even ended up being bummed that, you know, it ended a couple of times, even though we knew it was going to get picked up. Right. Uh, but because of some event, you know, I guess it was part of the reason why it did. So I guess we're, we're thankful for that because we don't know. It probably cause it possibly could have ended um, before this. Right. I mean, they actually, they actually mentioned that um, – uh, uh, I don't think this is – you know, it's, it's, it's in the voice of one of the, um, the crew – Mm-hmm. But I think this is Jed McKay at the end talking, you know, as like a a, a prose type uh, uh, closing, you know, thanks. I don't know if it's the, the editor or if it's uh, Jed McKay, but they talk about how that first volume uh, ended in part because of the onset of the pandemic. Right. So, you know, this is one of the casualties of that. And uh, I guess they had to retool it a little bit going forward, but... Uh, you know, it's a, it, it's just a reminder of what we've lost, you know, as a result of the pandemic. Yep. You know, right. I'm not, I'm not even, you know, going to talk about the 700,000 plus United States citizens, you know, who, who died during the pandemic. So indeed, indeed. And but the like worldwide look, millions though, you know. Yeah. Look forward to us, uh, Possibly bringing up the Black Cat, Felicia Hardy, and the creative team again, and probably shoot a few short weeks. I'm sure we can. I feel like we can make that promise this time. Hopefully, right. <laughs> As opposed to last year, but you know we're not going to talk about that. Anyway, uh, let me go ahead and get my books out of the way real quick because I only have a few more books. Starting off with Batman '89 number four. So here's something interesting interesting about this. So first of all, the creative team goes as such. Um, where the heck did I put the creative team? Oh, here we go. 
Um, writer Sam Ham, uh, art by Joe Kiones, colors by Leonardo Ito, and letters by not VCs uh, Clayton Cowles at this point, <laughs> <laughs> or for this particular uh, project. So, uh, for those that don't know, this is set in the world of. Uh, I don't. It's not the first Batman movie, but uh, in the world of Batman '89, uh, more specifically, we come to find out because uh, I was questioning this um, a, a few issues back uh, of where this is being set because of some characters who show up that were not originally in any of the movies, or not that one, or the subsequent movies uh, after that. This is pretty much being. Uh, this is pretty much taken place after Batman Returns. So it's weird that it's called Batman 89 because it kind of starts off there, but it swiftly moved through and past, or actually past um, Batman uh, Returns, which is the second movie and which introduced uh, Catwoman, Penguin, etc., etc. Uh, and you would know this because this particular, and I think the last issue also did, made mentions of certain characters from the movies. Um, such as Oswald, Oswald Coppelpot and Max Shrek. Uh, and of course, Catwoman, Selena Kyle. So she's already been in this. But in this particular issue, as um, we come to find out, Robin is introduced uh, into this uh, to this world, uh, and I'm just going to say that it is not any of the Robins that you know of, although they may be taking liberties from one more recent Robin that has been introduced in the the the, um, the, the regular DC universe. Um, in fact, placing this character in the same place as the other Robin is from. Now, whether they are going to try to amalgam, they're, they're seemingly trying to amalgam, and it kind of seems like they are uh, that character with this other Robin, or this character with this, the other Robin that has already been established kind of remains to be seen, but it looks like that's kind of what they're doing. Weirdly enough, because it's not even the same name, but you can see some uh, some similarities between this character and the uh, and that other character. And part of this book takes place in the, the DC um, part of town called Burnside. So if you know anything about your Robins and you know anything about uh, that particular place, you kind of get an idea of who I'm talking about. But it's not that character. Uh, that being said, like I said, Robins introduced uh, this character who we come to find out may end up being Robin or was at least dressing up as Robin for part of this, uh, finds out Bruce Wayne's identity, and they have a little chat um, uh, during the course of this issue. But also we come to find out that uh, another character that is in here, one Harvey Dent, is pretty much um, going headlong into their other identity, let's say. And if you know anything about Harvey Dent, you know anything about the other character, and you know anything about the uh, the, the DC universe, the DC uh, movie universe, you know where this is headed. <laughs> because it's pretty much going into another movie that comes after this, uh, in a way. But it's a version of 
not the same person that plays that character. And I'll leave it at that. So they're kind of doing some things with this book. I don't know to what end, and I'm not even sure how far they're going to go. But they've definitely been used, using the DC Universe and kind of introducing the uh, kind of melding the um, the Batman movie universe into the DC um, into a DC ish continuity, but not okay. but not the actual one. <laughs> Uh, that being said, next up, and I believe, uh, Jesus, the hell, what? No, that's just me. That's just me. (laughs) I was, I was, I was tapping something on my phone and something popped up like, what the hell? Uh, next up for me, Captain America, Iron Man, number one, which I believe, uh, Agent 70 said he read. I did read this and, uh, Roddy Cat is free to speak on this book. Yeah, there's really not much to say about this one. Uh, writer Derek Landy, art uh, Angel. Is it Angel Onzieta? I would say Angel. Angel? Okay, well. Unless it's uh, just, you know, unless, unless they're from, you know, the United States and they just go by Angel. So. Yeah, I don't know, so I apologize if I, if I screw up your name. But regardless, uh, color artist Rachel Rosenberg and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. Caramagna, excuse me. (laughs) He's our favorite Paisan. What are you doing? Go ahead. So, I don't know if you, Age of 70, read that last Falcon and Winter Soldier um, miniseries. I I skimmed it because I remember, uh, you know, there was like a a head of Hydra issue and stuff like that and like a young girl. So, yeah. There we go. So, that's what takes place, which I guess makes sense because the writer of this, I believe, was the writer of that and created this character uh and this basically tying this character veronica eaton from that last miniseries to uh one tony stark iron man in a way that is kind of classic tony (laughs) let's put it that way uh which leads to um i guess well i guess ties them in the past but now brings it forward to after the Falcon and Winter Soldier miniseries, and they're in um, dealings with that. Without going too far into it, basically, Tony has a dealing with her in the past. Uh, something happens, uh, I guess, probably directly after that Falcon and Winter Soldier miniseries to where she's in custody. She gets out of custody. custody Iron Man tries to... Um, tries to um tries to recapture her cap comes into the feature who was not had nothing to do with the Falcon Winter Soldier um miniseries but he kind of knows about it from it because obviously Sam and, and Bucky told him about it and that leads them into trying to apprehend her and um the other part of this is this team I have no idea who these people are because the uh, whole 51 States initiative from a few years back is something that I try to forget about and didn't really read anything about, but there's this team that kind of comes up and they're, I guess yeah, they I'm drag gonna... these characters out of the archives for sure. Like kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. So, so what we have him is what we have here. Even, even caps like, did you, did you get training? Like that. <laughs> That's right. I got a kick out of that part. It's like, didn't you get training? What are you doing? 
Yeah, right. It was just like, okay, we know where they were supposed to be trained. Did you get training? What's going on here? And that, that part was real funny. So we come to find out that Cap and Tony are teaming up, and I guess they're going to have this team in tow, maybe, possibly, we don't know, to apprehend this former head of, or former potential head of Hydra, which, like I said, and that gets the, the last, um, the last uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier miniseries, most of that, you know, it comes from there. Um, so yes, yeah, so I don't know. It's I'm going to at the very least read the next issue. Like I wasn't really sure what this was, what how what was the premise of this going to be about. And now that I have, I don't know if it's going to be that interesting. But I know they're trying to do something with this other character. Or I guess they're trying to do something with this other character, or you know, we'll see if they actually are. Listen, they're getting some kind of push because they're getting Alex Ross covers. True. But we also know that hey, what better way to to um, to uh, try to boost up sales is to try to get, you know, at the very least a good cover or some or variants, uh, yeah, or a creative team, yeah, or particularly the art to kind of you know buffer sales a little bit. Now, granted, like this writer, I don't know too much about this this uh, the writer, um, work outside of that last uh, miniseries, uh, when we've seen the artists in a couple of places here and there. Uh, especially most recently, and everybody else, obviously. But so, like I said, you don't know whether this uh, miniseries is going to come into anything. We'll, you know, we'll see, or it's just something that this is like, hey, we got the story. Here you go, mm-hmm. pop it out. Next up, though, um, is Magic Number Nine. All my Magic the Gathering fans out there are probably not reading this book, but. Um, you may want to though. Guess what? Written by Jed McKay, who we just talked about with um, with uh, Black Cat. Uh, illustrations by Ed Guara. Colors Ariana Consani, and letters by Ed Dukeshire. Excuse me. Um, the crux of this issue, and again, if you know your magic lore, and I know probably one or two people probably do, uh, this book has to do with like three particular uh, planeswalkers who were basically put together uh, to solve a mystery that was going, that was happening in uh, Ravnica. It kind of blossomed into something a little bit bigger. And in this uh, particular issue, uh, they're, they're basically girding up for a big, uh, um, a big multiversal fight because the big bad is kind of coming and, and um, causing some havoc or going to be causing havoc if they were allowed to um, get to Ravnica or someplace that uh, they can gain power. So they come up to, in this particular issue, they come up with a plan to uh, stave that off. And uh, in the, um, while doing so, the Gatewatch, which again, Magic the Gathering fans will know who this is, uh, get reassembled and, um, Expanded uh, because Ooh. Gatewatch, the, <laughs> pretty much a group of uh, uh, planeswalkers who, not necessarily Avengers like, but they basically uh, defended the, the multiverse, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But like I said, the the Gatewatch was put together so they could kind of um, save off this threat, uh, and this and with this plan that uh, the three main folks of this book have put together. Uh, including um, one other planeswalker who 
in the lore of Magic the Gathering at this point supposedly dead and think uh, and I don't know I assume this that they're clo- working closely with wizards for this but supposed to be dead but not necessarily dead because they're kind of teaching at Strixhaven which is a school that had an expansion uh, a few months back but um, it seems as if they they may be tying a little bit of that regardless this other planeswalker well known planeswalker uh, joined the fight and so do a bunch of others for this fight that's going to happen uh, seemingly next issue I'm not sure if this I'm not sure how what the sales of this book are on, but it's kind of fun. Like I said, Jeff McCade writing it, so in, in that it's it's a uh, it's been pretty pretty good, and the art's been all right. Uh, I feel like they after they they're starting to wrap this up, but I don't know if it's going to be the end of the story or the end of this book. Uh, but I guess we'll see in the next issue or two. Because they could pres- presumably just go with the and it's I, this is supposed to be an ongoing, but I don't know like I said, if they have plans to. Keep it going after they get through this arc. But we shall see. Uh, next up, Star Wars number 19. Uh, and this will start to round out my books. Book. Uh, written by Charles Soule, art by Marco Castillo. Excuse me. Uh, colors by Rachel Rosenberg, letters by BC's Clayton Cowles. So we are past that whole world of bounty hunters and the whole Hans body, uh, uh, Hans, I mean, excuse me, Hans carb- carbonated, carbonated uh, body being where it's supposed to be <laughs> going into Return of the Jedi, but we're not in Return of the Jedi just yet. I was about um, to say carbonated makes it sounds carb- like he's he's been he's become fizzy, but uh, I'm yeah, sorry. That's I, I heard you. I heard you correct it. And I was laughing. They put him in the soda stream. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, we're kind of past that. And the rebellion is trying to get back to other orders of business because they mentioned the fact that, uh, Shara Bay is still, uh, trapped in a, um, um, a star destroyer and they got other things going on. But as I'm about to get to in a minute, there's this other event, uh, that is kind of, in the way, uh, as they call it, the syndicate war. But like I said, I will get to more of that uh, in a minute. But through all of that, so we get all that out of the way. And um, through the course of this, Luke goes back to his sulking ways and, oh, I'm not with the Force and I got to find out this and that and the other. So this, the, the rest of this book is pretty much as the, the Rebellion are trying to get their plans together to do what they need to do to get supplies and whatever, whatever, whatever. Luke's kind of like, well, I need to be go go find out how to be a Jedi. He takes off with uh, R2 to do just like that. And as I say in my notes, there's a big road trip that happens uh, because he's looking for some Jedi uh, temples that have been pretty much ransacked by the Empire. He's get led somewhere and meets this one person who apparently helps him, but I feel like this person... Um, there's more to meet the eyes than this person, but I could be wrong... Um, but he did, does come away from this issue with a valuable item, let's just say, uh, that is, um, that we have seen a few different times in Star Star Wars lore. I almost said Star Trek, and that would be bad. Um, uh, let's say a certain source of information that he's going to use in, in the next couple of issues, almost like, uh, in the beginning of, um, the, the first volume of Star Wars, 
I, I feel like they're kind of using it in a same uh, in the same vein. But we shall see. Uh, last but not least, Star Wars Crimson Rain number one. And again, after the whole business with um, with Han and whatnot. So if you if folks did not know, you come to find out that Kira of uh, the movie Solo fame had Han's body for a while, but now she doesn't. The, the, it's now in, back in the hands of Jabba the Hutt. But the Crimson Rain, uh, the Crimson, um, oh shoot, <laughs> Crimson Rain. I keep going. Uh, the Crimson Dawn's plans don't stop there because this was all a big push for them to kind of gain some footing in the galaxy as a as a um, as a group to be reckoned with, if not you know useful to the galaxy. Um, and I go so far, and I, let me go ahead and say the the creative team written by Carl, Charles Soule. I believe this is part two of a three-part uh, event type situation, if I'm not mistaken. Charles Soule's writing this, art by Stephen Cummings, colors by Guru EFX, and uh, letters by VCs Travis Lanning. So uh, Crimson Dawn's basically putting together a whole, um, got a whole bunch of plans, uh, and Kira's pretty much got a, a, a few pots in the, got a few fires in the iron. So on one part, she's got a group of bounty hunters doing the thing for her. She's setting up the syndicate, uh, these different syndicates, uh, because she basically let it known that, hey, there might be a power vacuum based on what happened because of the uh, what, something that happened coming out of the last event. But it's not really like that. So she's basically started a gang war, and which is called the syndicate war. And that's kind of what I alluded to back in the, when I was just talking about Star Wars number 19 that they alluded to. Um, and she did this because obviously what better way to get herself in on better standings with the underground uh, or the underworld of the Star Wars universe than to start a war between them all. Makes sense, right? Without her being into, you know, without them being implicated in it. So this particular uh, issue kind of sets all of that up. Uh, she's like that. She sets off some bounty hunters here, some assassins here, um, uh, and I think she's got one other group uh, robbing Vader's castle. You know, to, to all the different ends. There, uh, and at the end of this, we see uh, that this is also setting up the possible downfall of the Crimson Dawn. Um, which I guess in a way makes sense because movie wise they, they never really showed up until um until that solo movie. So going into where where this is taking place, which is in, still in between Empire Strikes Back and, and um Return of the Jedi, yeah. They probably won't be around next year, I guess, after whatever this uh mm. particular line and I guess whatever that next thing Charles Soros is cooking up. And I know he is because he's talked about it on Twitter is cooking up for this group. And that, uh, folks, uh, is the end of that, because there's a, there was a curious ending on this particular book, because that may or may not have something to do with a character that I thought was dead, but I'm not entirely sure. But like I said, we'll see, I guess we'll see uh, going forward in that. And with that, we can go to Clicks of the Week. Clicks of the Week! I think we did get one from Tim. Yes, we did. Uh, yep, there we go. Uh, so yeah, 
Tim's click of the week was, and not a surprise, uh, Inferno, number three. Nice work, Tim. Thank you. And I second that as my click of the week as well. Yes, because you did say that before the show. (laughs) Oh, and you know it's a good book when, because low peak behind the sentence a lot of times we don't necessarily know what our place is going to be before the show unless it was really really that outstanding right uh and in this case yeah like i said they got theirs right sometimes our minds get changed you know during the show when you know during the discussion of a book so you know it, it you know if something really does kind of knock us on our butts um beforehand we kind of already know coming into the show true and honestly I'm slightly torn for different reasons between Inferno number three and Magic number nine. That's fine. I mean, I'll tell you that in terms of my reading list, and and just to give you a little bit of cover to give yourself more time, what I read uh, actually was was for the most part mostly really good this week. That giant size black cat infinity score number one was really good. Um, Devil's Reign number one I thought was really good. So. You know, those were also close contenders for me. Um, Amazing Spidey number 80.beehive, not so much. But yeah. Devil's Reign number one was quality stuff. And Giant Size Black Cat Infinity Score number one was quality stuff. So, you know, they did not come in very far behind of Inferno number three. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know what? I am definitely going to uh, co-sign Inferno number three because it was very good. But I will say, if you are a Magic the Gathering um, fan, you should probably check out that series because it's actually pretty good uh, for for being light as it is. And with that, uh, we're going to go into the com- I was still a little bit going to the news section, but first, an ad read. Our first ad read of the night is for Funko. Fun at first sight. It's your home for exclusive collectibles such as their world-famous pop vinyl bobbleheads, apparel including t-shirts, hats, and socks, and brand merchandise such as DIY pop figures. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy 10% off your entire purchase when shopping at Funko. It is the holiday season after all. To place your first order with 10% off and to help keep our show free for you, Please go to our network website at cspn.us, that's cspn.us, then click on the Keep Our Podcasts free link at the top of the page. From there, you scroll down to the Funko link and place your order. When you get to the checkout, put in the offer code SHOP10 for your 10% off discount. Funko through cspn.us, do it today! And now we get into the news. And as we do every week, we start off with the cinematic news first up, which some would argue that this probably has nothing to do with what, anything we've ever talked about, but I thought it was fun. Uh, Gorilla's lead singer provides an update on animated Netflix film. Uh, so the gorilla is the, uh, Damien Alborn. Um, y'all know who that is if you know the Gorillas. Uh, provided an uh, update on the previously announced full-length Gorillas film currently in development at Netflix. 
Um, there was an interview with Apple Music, and Auburn teased that the film script is being written, stating that they're in L.A. because they're making a full-length film with Netflix. Uh, they're having a writing session in Malibu. Must be nice. And he went on to say that it's something we've been wanting to do for a very long time. It's been through so many inter- uh, incarnations, gorillas doing a movie. To which, you know, if you know anything about the gorillas and a lot of their videos, they there's been a weird um, throughput, through line within a lot of them. Maybe some would even say there's a storyline. Um, but yeah, so I guess this is somewhat a logical step to it. Next up. Next up, uh, Eternals, The Suicide Squad, and Shang-Chi receive Best Visual Effects nominations from the Hollywood Critics Association. So uh, these three films have received uh, nominations for Best Visual Effects for... uh, What award is this? I guess it's the Hollywood Critics Association. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Cause it's, oh, no, it's the Hollywood Critics Association Film Awards. They take place on January 8th. Okay, that's what I was looking for. Yes, because tis award season, and you're going to hear a, a little bit of that. Actually, we already have, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, though. Oh, wait, hold on a second. That right there, just in case that ends up being a story later. Um, Should I be reloading this? Are you adding stuff? No, 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 no. no okay. No. Um, Destin Daniel Cretton uh, inks overall deal with Marvel Studios and Hulu's uh, Onyx Collective, set for Disney Plus MCU series and Shang Chi sequel. Slam! Da, da, da. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, very well done. Well done. So, um, if folks don't know, Dan- uh, Destin Daniel Cretton was the director of Shang Chi and the Legend of Ten, Ten Rings. We were wondering if there was going to be a sing- uh, sequel to the movie, and here we found out, yes, there is. But um, he's also in development with uh, Marvel Studios on a new MCU series for Disney Plus. Uh, let's see. Uh, and apparently it's all exclusive multi-year overall deal with Disney. So shout out to him for that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, talk about, talk about, uh, uh, writing in with ink, not with pencil into his calendar for the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, Hey, what you doing for the next couple of days? How about you do something for us? Um, it says, under the big new overall deal, Cretton will develop TV projects for both Marvel Studios, for Disney+, Plus, and Onyx Collective all across all platforms, including Hulu. Uh, Maui-born Cretton will produce... I hope I'm, that's the way he pr- uh, pronounces his name. is not Cretton, because I don't, that doesn't even seem right. No, but I anyway. think it's Cretton. We've, we've heard his name in the news enough. Okay. Uh, we'll produce through a new production company he is launching with partner um, Asher Goldstein named Family Owned. Uh, together they will focus on building a slate of projects in film and TV that highlight the experiences of communities that have traditionally been overlooked by pop culture. Uh, and uh, the article goes on from there, but we will not. So, hey, cool. Next up. Next up, Kobe Smulders is set to reunite with Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury on Marvel's Secret Invasion, reprising her MCU role of Maria Hill. Secret Invasion is a Disney Plus 
uh, television series. So this is the uh, the one that's going to be based on the Marvel Comics event. Obviously, it's going to extrapolate uh, some story points from that event, but obviously be based mainly in MCU continuity. So uh, uh, Secret Invasion also stars Ben Mendelsohn reprising his role as Skrull Talos, Olivia Coleman. Uh, Amelia Clark, Kingsley Ben-Adir, Christopher McDonald, and Killian Scott. You know, and you and you wonder how Marvel is able to pull in all of these actors, right? Yeah. Some of which have had um, prior dealings with uh, the, the parent company on, under another brand. Right. So, as, as folks will know. Uh, I feel like I've, or maybe I'm saying this, or maybe I've seen this somewhere, but I, I feel like her being in the cast, it's going to be like a How I Met Your Scroll. Yeah, right. I think so too. Yeah, type situation. But hey, it, it makes sense because we haven't seen Marie Hill in a in a good minute, so I'm sure this will address where she's been since the snap. Well, no, yeah, we saw her at the uh, end of Endgame at the well, funeral. Yeah. So but that's the last not, time we've seen her, I think. Yeah, but not in a significant role. <laughs> she's at the funeral. Yeah, well, again, not a significant role. Anywho, um, <laughs> same same as that kid uh, from Iron Man Two. Oh no, Iron Man Three. Yeah, yeah. Which shit? He's even been in the comic books recently, so that's weird. Uh, but we'll actually get it, possibly get into that later on in the comics. Uh, anyway, Hawkeye writers had to beg Marvel to use the MCU's new Black Widow, apparently, and I guess potential spoilers for this week's Hawkeye, which we already talked about. So. Mm-hmm. But there's really not much else to say about this outside of the fact that, uh, let's see, Jonathan Igler, uh, who is a writer and executive uh, producer on, I believe, on Hawkeye, said that, um, oh, uh, while Black, Black Widow post-credit scene establishing Yelena's Hawkeye connection was Marvel's doing, it came in response to us begging, begging for and making a good case for why Yelena had a place in our story. Uh, "Quote unquote," revealing his logic behind the crossover idea. The Marvel Madman writer continued. Uh, I think what I can safely say about it right now is that there's an obviously there's an obvious connection between Clint's get over the loss of his best friend and the other person in the world who cared about the the most about her. Which sure. So next up, next up, and this is some of the uh, the big uh, news on the internet from this past week. Marvel has literally confirmed that Charlie Cox will eventually return as Daredevil if he joins the MCU. The quote is, if you were to see Daredevil in upcoming things, Charlie Cox, yes, would be the actor playing Daredevil, says Marvel chief Kevin Feige. And that's, you know, that's the big news. He gave this uh, statement out during the press tour for Spider-Man No Way Home. And, you know, obviously the caveat is, so if you were to see Daredevil in upcoming things, and obviously Feige's still holding that particular card close to the vest, but given some of the things that we have been teased, this may come to pass sooner rather than later. Right. Um... Yeah, like Age of Seven said, this was big news because this is kind of a thing. So, and I believe uh, side of that, like you saw people like Vincent D'Onofrio uh, after this news came out, 
He's saying, hey, don't forget, you know, um, I can't remember the lady's, uh, uh, the girl's name, so I apologize the, the woman's name. Um, the, the one that played Electra? No, the, who played Karen. Oh, uh, Deborah Ann Wall. Thank you. Um, don't do not forget her, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for this because obviously, and we already know that Vincent D'Onofrio, D'Onofrio wouldn't mind coming back to play the the kingpin, right? Uh, so, who's to say that we will get all of them together uh, again? You know, who's to know, or in what way, shape, or fashion? Exactly, and I and I just want to dwell a little bit on that last part of Roddy Cat's uh, uh, previous statement. We don't know if these characters are just going to be reintroduced into the MCU with altered backstories with their own context in the MCU or if they're going to revive all or some of the Netflix continuity. So we don't know for sure exactly what they're going to do. I honestly don't foresee they're going to bring everything in from Netflix, but they'll probably pick and choose much like, you know, they have with other things. They're just going to pick and choose with how they adapt this particular group of characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they, like they have with Marvel stuff, like they've done with star Wars or like, like, you know, star Wars part has done with their extended universe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so I think it'll be an adaptation, not necessarily uh Hey, everything that was on Netflix is Canon now because Netflix still owns those uh, episodes. Right, which is kind of a bummer because I feel like the legwork has been done on that front, and it would it would be to at least the audience's benefit to who watch that stuff um, to kind of have that already under the belt instead of trying to uh, adapt something new for them. But yeah, but like like you just said, said, like Netflix owns those particular iterations, and so that's what that's what rules. Exactly. Like oh, Wu Tang uh, said. That rules everything around me. Yep. yep. Uh there is, if you uh by the way, um in the clickbait section of the show notes, I believe we have the a full or if the full, if not a full uh interview with uh Kevin Feige and um Oh shoot, I forgot who else it was. But basically it's um uh, Feige, uh probably talking about this stuff. Yeah, uh, it was. On... Um, I want to say it was one of the female producers. Yes, it is. Uh, and I'm. I don't know. Why I've, I'm I, yeah, I'm blanking on her name as well. I I know she has a really big hairdo in that particular interview. That's what I'm remembering. Isn't that terrible? Amy Pascal. There it is. I was. I wasn't sure if it was Pascal. Yeah. So. But yes, you're right because they're the yeah, because the picture in the audience is like, wow, she's got a. Like some Bernadette Peters hair, which I don't know, <laughs> if, you know that is. Even is. Anyway, next up, though, um, No Way Home villains come face to face with Spider Man in menacing new photo of uh, uh, posters. Excuse me. Uh, so yes, we already know Spider Man No Way Home uh, is coming very very soon, which is next week. Which I guess we'll take this time to say that next week we will be on uh, Movie Protocol again. Because of that, Agent Seventy's already got his tickets. I don't know if I'm going to have my tickets or even go. Um, opening weekend, yeah, opening weekend. But we'll see. Yeah, we just, and 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 let's not uh, take any shots at Roddy Cat for this because you know he has valid concerns. We all do, especially with uh, the holiday season and 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 and. Uh, uh, people still not getting vaccinated and whatnot, and just being able to carry it even if they are vaccinated. So, you know, it's 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 a tough time to make these kinds of decisions. And 
um, you know, especially given the magnitude of hype that's surrounding this movie, Roddy Cat is probably justified in not going opening weekend. That's really what it comes down to. They dare say I'm definitely justified, but, you know. You know. Just, However, just based on the crowds, just based on the crowds, yeah. you know? How if you want to pay for my ticket, my cash app is... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, back, to the, back to the news. Uh, said photos for Spider-Man No Way Home feature uh, Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus, William Defoe's Green Goblin, and Jamie Foxx's Electro. Uh, and if you're watching the video, you can see said photos of said uh, posters right here. Uh, as I scroll through them. And there's really not much else to be said about that. Next up. All right, next up in more big news that kind of shook the internet. After more than Ooh. three years, we finally have our first look at the highly anticipated Spider-Verse sequel. So um, we have the first scene from the two-part Spider-Verse sequel, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And it's uh, it's pretty exciting. It dropped Saturday e- this past Saturday evening, so it's been a few days since uh, it dropped. So we've had a chance to kind of digest it, but uh, it is uh, pretty fun. And uh, the sequel is directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kent Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. It's a you know it's a different group of directors from the first one. The sequel will be written by David Callaham and Phil Lord and Chris Miller from the first movie. Um, the sequel will re- will see the return of uh, Shamik Moore as Miles Morales, um, Jake Johnson as Peter Parker, and Haley Steinfeld, uh, aka Kate Bishop, as Gwen Stacy. In addition to these returning characters, the sequel will also include Issa Rae as Jessica Drew, Spider Woman, and uh, as we also saw, it's going to include uh, Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Spoiler alert, but not so much because it's actually in that scene that's shown in the trailer or the sneak peek. And at the end of the first movie. Right. Uh, yes, and that's being played by Oscar Isaac, which I believe... Well, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Well, that leads into Wait. the next story. Exactly. But I wanted to say before we get off of this one, uh, one, I just rewatched Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse with my girlfriend, and who has not seen it, who had never seen it before, and she enjoyed it. Um, uh, so having come off of that... And then a couple of days later, seeing this come uh, come out, which we had been teased about, like, I think the day or two before that they were going to be showing something on this. Uh, but it was great to see this. Uh, and very happy. to. I don't know if we knew that this was supposed to be a two-parter, though. No, I think that was the big news. Right. That was the big news is that essentially, I mean, the way it was put to me is that Miles is getting his own trilogy. Right. And we have, you know, this second Spider-Verse movie split up into two pieces, so... Right. Yeah, like, we knew the part about they, they, they wanted to do more food to it, and like like you said, give Miles a trilogy, but we didn't know they were going to do go the way of... Like, as they've done with Harry Potter and... Um, and and uh, Endgame. You know, and Endgame, yeah, split up in a couple of... Like, this is not new recently, but still. All right. This one, I'm, I'm welcome about. <laughs> of, out of everything I just mentioned, this is the one I'm I'm I'm, I'm excited about. Uh, but yeah, coming out of that and going into the next one, um, which I, I'm assuming you did watch that teaser. Oh, of course, I watched yeah. it, and I understand that people are excited about. It. I'm just like, okay, just you know, let's let let's uh, let's hope that they uh, that they uh, don't do too much with uh, some of the other characters. 
Um, I'm I'm personally not that big a fan of the Kingpin uh, from the uh, the Spider Verse movie. Uh, I thought they went a little bit too much in one direction. Yeah, it was so you know, like you know, listen. Every every movie has to make those kinds of choices. Every project has to make those kinds of choices. So, you know, it's just a matter of uh, you know how it all comes together as a whole. You know, and I obviously understand that there's a lot of hype and a lot of appreciation for uh, you know this for, for this movie following up on uh, Spider Verse. So my hope is that they don't do too much with any one particular character taking them in like a really wacky direction. I mean, considering the, the, the premise they've kind of adapted and taken liberties from, how much more crazy could they get? <laughs> you know? Because let's face it, Spider-Verse, even, you know, even for what I even know about the original uh, storyline, kind of out there to a point. So, but yeah. Um, so getting to the next uh, um, uh, related articles, Oscar Isaac agreed to play Spider-Man 2099 uh, in this movie under one condition. Uh, and he basically says in this interview from Entertainment Weekly, um, or excuse me, that um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller said, revealed was that don't make me boring. He's made a, uh, uh, yeah, he says he's made a very complex character out of Miguel O'Hara, who's doing my, uh, for those in the know, Spider-Man 2099. And he's definitely not boring. Which we can kind of say from the comic in, I guess that's kind of true. I don't know. I've never really cared that much for Spider-Man 2099, but eh. if I were to rate my Spider-Man, he the the character really hasn't been able to do much. Let's be honest. You know, I didn't read that much of Spidey 2099 coming up. Well, I remember when it was launched. I think I have a copy of the first issue. But it was the tw- part of the 2099 line, and I don't have any kind of affinity for that. So, yeah, I would almost put him above Ben Riley, but I, even then, that's not really saying. That. I put Ben Riley at the bottom, so you know everyone's <laughs> above him. I don't know what Roddy Cat's talking about. I think he's talking some craziness right now. No, so. <laughs> the point is, he's not very right. He's not very high up on Roddy Cat's rankings, you know. Right, but he's above Ben Riley for me because Ben Riley's at right. the at the bottom. Right, it's Peter, Miles, Gwen, Silk. All of them kind of can share it. Can can be know, near the top, down. exactly. Exactly. You know, Jessica Drew, all of them, and then somewhere down the line is these two, way down the line. I'm talking about bottom. I'm talking yeah. about Ben Riley's at the bottom. Shots fired. Seriously, shots fired. I I would put uh, hell even with Aranya and uh, freaking Mayday Parker. <laughs> I was about to say they're higher up. For me, they're higher up, you know? Like, you need to read... I was about to say, Roddy Cat needs to read Spider-Verse. That's that's what it comes down to, because a lot of those characters get a lot of shine during Spider-Verse and um, uh, Spider-Geddon. Uh, Spider-Geddon is actually Miles taking his turn at the front of a Spider-Verse-type uh, storyline, so... Um, I'm wondering if they'll probably adapt some of Spider-Geddon into Spider-Verse, into this mo- in upcoming movie as well. We'll see. That seems confident. But move right along in the news. All right. I think I've got this one. Um, mm-hmm. The Batman is going to hit theaters in just a few months and introduce a barely recognizable, seriously, a barely recognizable Colin Farrell as the next big DC villain. And uh, Farrell played... Okay, Farrell plays Oswald Cobblepot, the iconic Batman villain known as Penguin. 
And it turns out that um, Danny DeVito is giving his full stamp of approval to his successor in the role of Oswald Cobblepot. For those who are too young and for those just not in the know, Danny DeVito did, in fact, play um, the live-action version of the Penguin, Oswald Cobblepot, in the uh, Batman 89-verse, let's say. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, uh, DeVito did did give his full stamp of approval to Colin Farrell as one of his favorite actors. And he can't wait for this particular rendition of The Penguin. Uh, Next up, Colin Farrell is set to reprise his role as The Penguin in the Batman spinoff series set for HBO Max. So, as reported by Variety, excuse me. I'm waiting for this to pull up to to get pulled up now. Um, uh, Colin Farrell has officially signed on to star in and executive produce a series spinoff of The Batman in which he would again play the Penguin. Penguin, I feel like I'm Bugs Bunny. Uh, Variety has learned exclusively from sources. Uh, let's see. Farrell will first portray the villainous character in The Batman, which is due out on March 4th, 2022. The series that uh, they're talking about would reportedly delve into the Penguin's rise to power in the Gotham criminal underworld. Uh, Variety first reported the series, the series was in development back in September, although Farrell was not attached at that time. Okay. So the funny thing about this is they did this already in Gotham, which, yes, I know is not canon. <laughs> uh, and this and this this other series was a known quantity from before now. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. On right. That. So I, was, I mean, like, yeah, I'm sorry. This, Go ahead. Uh, I was about no, to say, just, say doing this again. Yeah, we're doing it again in the multiverse, in the DC multiverse. That's really what it comes down to. Right. Oi. Exactly. The multiverse giveth and the multiverse taketh away. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, moving right along, speaking of DC Universe, uh, Joe Manganiello doesn't think he'll play DCEU's Deathstroke again. Um, so he reveals that he doesn't, um, he doesn't think he's going to play Deathstroke again and expresses that he's let go of the role. Um, and I'm sure, uh, I believe this article goes in to say that this probably has something to do with, uh, the Snyder cut and, or whether that's canon or not, you know, because obviously we know there's, there are things they're not going forward with. We don't even know what the hell does ECU use going, going forward with after that last Justice League movie. Um, and not, I think, I guess Flash is still upcoming, and they're, since they're going to do Flashpoint, we don't know where that's going to end up doing for them either. So, but um, yeah, sounds like, uh, let's see, he was speaking with uh, ComingSoon.net. Um, he reflected on his time with DC, as DCEU's Deathstroke, and again, like I said, he was asked and said he pretty much let that go a little while ago, and uh, that's pretty much that. Maybe he'll show up somewhere. Maybe not. Uh, you would think they would put him in that Batman uh, thing if they're going to do that. But as as we just said, that's a multiverse thing, and you know, who even knows? Next up. Next up. Uh, so thanks to Total Film slash Games Radar, 
we have some new photos from uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, all decked out as Black Adam on the set of the DC film. So uh, Dwayne Johnson also opened up about the film and the character that he's playing and, you know, talks about uh, Black Adam being an anti-hero slash villain, depending on your perspective. And that, uh, you know, talks about the development because this this has been in development for a long time. And um, Black Adam, he also describes how Black Adam will apparently change the hierarchy of power in the DCEU. Um Let's see here. Just scrolling through all the jibber-jabber that Dwayne Johnson has about this particular character, which actually turns me off. I'm going to be honest. That is my particular take on this uh, version of Black Adam. Uh, He's also looking – Dwayne Johnson is also looking forward to a day when they're able to film a battle between Black Adam and Superman. He says he doesn't know who that Superman is going to be and doesn't know who's going to play him, but that's okay. He just wants it to happen at some point. Sure. Drew on, kid. Um (laughs) – New Peacemaker feature Peacemaker, excuse me, featurette focuses on the crazy BFS Peacemaker and Vigilante. Um, so yeah, that Peacemaker HBO Max uh, series is still a go apparently, and the um, uh, yeah, this featurette uh, which in says is sort of thing. I don't know. I really don't that much as if, if if what I'm saying is not uh, if not indicative of but basically video includes Cena, Gunn, and Strom will talk about the series and the relationship between Peacemaker and Vigilante. It also offers up new footage of the two having a ton of fun blowing up stuff in the woods. Um and this article kind of goes on into um what the the feature kind of goes into and Peacemaker is going to premiere January 13th, 2022 on HBO Max. Uh, Max. Next up. I mean, it looks like that vigilante costume is going to be relatively faithful to the comics. Sure. So I, I don't know that much about vigilante. So, right. I mean, Wait, vigilante, the cowboy or a cowboy. He's cowboy? gone through a lot of changes because of crisis and multiple right. characters taking on the role. I remember the first one because the first one was introduced. The character and concept was introduced during the New Teen Titans run uh, uh, from the early 80s. All righty. Next up, Grant Gustin is the Arrow versus New Reverse Flash in Armageddon Photos. Ooh. The CW released new photos of Barry Allen as Reverse Flash pitted against Eobard Thawne as The Flash for part four of the show's Armageddon event. So for all of you faithful CWDC watchers, I hope you're enjoying this. Mm. And obviously there's a bit of comic accuracy to that because I believe that that something like that happened in the comic books where Thawne took basically, (laughs) not necessarily face-off style, but basically uh, did plastic surgery to make himself look like Barry. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know. But right. Right. whether or not that's what they're adapting is something else. So we'll see. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, if those are still watching that, um, I'm nowhere near caught up. So it is what it is. Tyler Hoechlin's uh, Man of Steel returns in Superman and Lois season two trailer. 
So the CD Davis official trailer for Superman and Lois season two promises action, family drama, and even a Teen Wolf reunion. Uh, as the trailer opens, we see that Clark Kent and Lois Lane are having marital problems. Oh, no. Things haven't been okay for months, uh, Lois tells Clark. And, uh, quote-unquote, I've been telling you, Lois's father, Sam Lane, even comes by to check on her, saying, always something to worry about isn't there. So I have not been keeping up with this particular program. I, I have heard reports that it's good. Don't know. Um, I, uh, going into this article a little bit further, I guess sounds like some ties to steel is, is in this uh well still has shown up on the show now that i think about it so another person attached to steel has something uh oh an alternate version of lois and steel's character his daughter is and then it looks like that's a, it's a whole thing regardless if you're keeping up this you probably know what in the world that's about but hey there's a trail out there season two's happening that is the crux of this next Next up, there is a rumor that DC is developing a Crisis on Infinite Earths animated trilogy. Uh, the rumor was reported by producer and film critic Matthias Leorta, who said on Twitter, Scoop! DC is purportedly planning a three-part animated adaptation of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which would bring together different versions of its heroes. If true, the trilogy might bring together not only characters from the much-loved DC animated universe, uh which is essentially uh, the characters from the Batman animated series and ending with the conclusion of Justice League Unlimited, but also from the DC animated movie universe, TV shows like Teen Titans or Harley Quinn, shorts like the DC Showcase Collection, or countless more. So, uh, yeah, way to try to confuse everybody, DC. But listen, people love that crisis stuff, so. Yeah. And and luckily, given... given um an episode of the Combo Chronicles from last year, we both are uh, familiar with it. <laughs> yeah. Already familiar with it, but I caught up with it. So. Yeah, I mean, I was familiar with most of it, and I, I, I freely confess I don't remember a lot of what we talked about on that episode. I may have to revisit that episode. I don't either. It's It's weird, though, because we do know that they did Flashpoint already, because that pretty much was the shift of the DC animated universe uh, at a certain point a few right. years back. Right, and they right, started right. in movies after that, and now they're going to a an event, the first DC event, right. I believe. I'm not what, was, what was the name of the crying guy? Was that Proctor? No. No, what um, was that? The crying guy that we poked fun at? Oh, man. Pariah. Pri- uh, was it Pariah? It's Pariah. Like, literally, his name was Pariah? Good Pariah. Lord. <laughs> I, I was like, I almost forgot about it myself. The crying, as soon as I said the crying guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, again, this is a rumor, so we don't know if this is going to happen. But if it does, that'll be interesting to say, at least. And like I said, because of the fact that they've already done Flashpoint already in, in animated form, like, it's kind of curious as to why they're going backwards. At any rate, we'll see if the, if there's any merit to this. Um, Sabrina's Kiernan Shipka explains how Riverdale's role is in Chilling Adventures continuity. And I guess this is spoilers for anyone who ha- who cared about uh, Chilling Adventures of uh, Adventure of uh, Sabrina and not finished it. Um, apparently, she died at the end of that, but she has is in uh, currently in has a role in. Uh, current season of Riverdale. 
Uh, so there is that. Uh, let's see. It says here, no worries, says uh, Kieran Shipka, who told TV Line that the teenager wish is not done with living life. Uh, quote, unquote, it's very unlikely Sabrina just... Uh, Sabrina just to just kind of chill in the suite hereafter. Um, I think she would get bored and would want to find her way back to her friends and family and vice versa, according to uh, Shipka. Uh, her aunties and her friends and Ambrose would do anything for her. So to me, it makes sense that her death wasn't a, a forever death. And I guess somewhere in there is probably we don't necessarily know when in relation to that Netflix show, this particular Riverdale uh, season is taking place because they were two different, pretty much two separate things uh, up until this crossover. So, who knows? Don't know. Haven't watched uh, Riverdale or Sabrina. So, next up. Next up, uh, the production company behind the Mega Man movie has finally posted an update on the video game adaptations production, revealing that the Blue Bomber is headed to Netflix. The movie was briefly mentioned in an update to the official website of Supermarché, the production company that is run by the Mega Man movies, writers, and directors. Okay. Mega, mega. For those who remember uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the Saturday morning cartoon. Oh, no, I don't. I honestly don't recall ever having played Mega Man, to be honest. Mm. Well, Mega Man was basically a part of Captain in, the Captain in uh, cartoon on Saturday mornings, and that, that might have been a little bit before your time. Or after. Uh, or after, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, um, definitely yeah. after, I think. But it, was, but it was kind of like mid to early 80s, so I don't know. Uh, but I remember it, because mm. I'm silly like that. So, but anyway, regardless, there, there may be a live-action Mega Man. Oh, gracious. Uh, the Boys announces Diabolical Animated spinoff series apparently so prime video announced a new animated spinoff series of the boys titled titled uh, diabolical as reported by variety the, the announcement was made in a special video by billy butcher billy butcher's call urban along with the title revealed it was announced that diabolical will consist of eight episodes and will serve as an animated anthology series set in the same same universe as prime videos the boys think animatrix basically hmm um, and I believe I've seen other articles uh, to that to that assertion. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's really nothing else to say. This article kind of goes on about that and even mentions what I just said. So uh, there you go. So if you're a fan of the boys, there's something more to look forward to. Next up. All right, next up, Jujutsu Kaisen director teases new content for a prequel movie. In a newly translated interview, anime director Sung-Hoo Park, it's always interesting to see uh, Korean names on these uh, Japanese anime, but that's just the nature of the anime business nowadays. There's lots of cross-pollination between uh, the two countries when it comes to anime and animation. Uh, a lot of unsaid anime, you're right. What's yeah. that? Especially with a lot of work, because a lot of uh, Korean companies do some of the some of the uh, actual animation. Exactly, mm-hmm. I've seen it in the credits, so I noticed that during my uh, during my uh, renewed dive into animation, that I've seen a lot of Korean companies and names in the credits. So this this director teased new material for the Jujutsu Kaisen Zero prequel movie. Um, the director says that it will feature new content. And he teased that even fans who have read Gigi Akutami's original manga will discover new things in the series' upcoming prequel movie. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, you've seen Jujutsu Kaisen. Correct? I've done. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I finished it. I mean, I'm up to date. Let's put it that way. Right. Because uh, yeah, because we don't know whether when or whether they're doing a, a second season or not. But this is doesn't matter because this is a prequel. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Next up, though. Oh wait. Oops. Bing. There we go. Uh, Neo still knows Kung Fu in the latest trailer for The Matrix Revolutions. Actually, I still haven't watched this trailer. Um, but the latest trailer for The Matrix Resurrections, excuse me, um, um, correcting myself, is here and is more mysterious than ever. Uh, it's hinting at a repeating loop of ideas. Whoa. Um, <laughs> deja vu. <laughs> Was it, was it the same cat or is it a different cat? Anyway, uh, scenes and moments from the original trilogy of films. But one thing is made to clear amid all the confusion, Neo definitely still knows Kung Fu, according to this article. The new trailer's action bounces between the digital world of the Matrix and the post-apocalyptic world outside of it, intermixing with clips from the first three uh, Matrix movies. And while it's not very clear what's actually going on, it seems that the main focus of the film... Uh, Will be Neo working to reunite with Trinity? No duh. Uh, something that will presumably be difficult, given that both characters appear to die at the end of 2003's uh, Revolutions. So yeah, if you watched it and liked it, good on you. I haven't watched it yet, but you know, hey, did you check this out? What's up? Or you're like this uh, this trailer? I watched it. Did you? Uh, I watched yeah. it. Yeah. I, I had intended to, but I totally forgot it until this, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it later. <laughs> like I said, it's kind of one of those things, like, you know how we kind of get into, it's like, you know, I don't know how much of this I actually want to see, because a lot of these trailers end up spoiling stuff. Sure. And this movie's not, you know, not far off. Right. No, I absolutely I absolutely agree with that idea. I think I watched it, and then I kind of said, well, if they, you know, if they put out any more, I'm not watching anymore. Right. I'm definitely it's, okay with where we are, you know, yeah, in terms right. of knowledge going in mm-hmm. yeah and uh and speaking of that next uh the next uh, story is the matrix awakens teaser includes an eerily realistic animated keanu reeves um so there is a brief 15 second clip featuring the iconic green text of the matrix films matrix films before zooming out onto keanu reeves's face uh, where he asks, how do we know what is real? The teaser concludes by confirming that The Matrix Awakens is an Unreal Engine 5 experience before announcing that a full reveal will take place during the Game Awards 2021, which air uh, Friday the 10th. Which is actually, yeah, probably ended by now, but as of this recording, it was it was on tonight. Okay, as yeah, it- so this is a video game thing. Yes, it is, and I don't know why I put it here, but, you know, um, so if you, by the time this comes out in audio form, I'm sure folks who are interested will have seen, one, the Gabe Awards and the uh, the um, the world premiere, probably, of the, the Matrix Awakens video game. Let's hope it's better than some of the other Matrix video games, let's just say. Um, and I believe, well, it's not last but not least, but uh, almost... Sonic the Hedgehog 2 uh, Tales' voice actress Colleen O'Shaughnessy confirmed for the sequel. So we knew Tales was coming. We didn't know who was going to play Tales, and now we know. Um, I still haven't seen the first Sonic the Hedgehog movie, so go figure. But now we know the, the current voice of Tales is playing Tales in the movie. Oh, next up. All right, so... Uh... 
actually today, you know, as the as of the day of the recording, WWE superstar Rey Mysterio, uh, it was announced that he's going to star in the new Cartoon Network Latin America series, Rey Mysterio versus the Darkness. Uh, and it will be produced by Mexican studio Viva Calavera in conjunction with Mysterio. The series will have 10 episodes and will premiere in Latin America in 2022. And uh, if you uh, see on the webpage that Roddy Cat is sharing, there is an image that uh, embraces the visual style of wrestling, lucha libre, anime, and American animation. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think we might have got a tease for this like a while back, but I guess this may be, I can't remember, because I do remember there was something along those lines going on, So, and I think this might be it. So, um, I don't know whether we're going to, I assume we're going to get it here in the States? Eventually. It's probably like a debut in Latin America first, and then it'll probably make its way uh, stateside to uh, Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. I would assume. That would logically, given the, mm-hmm. the, the, the you know, thing. So keep it in the family. Right. Exactly. So wrestling fans, stay tuned for that. Or I'm sure fire up your VPNs when it comes out. Um. All right, we're going to transition over to the comic book news. Exactly. Marvel's new Iron Man uh, may be the multiverse's darkest Avengers. So don't ask me why I held this off from last week, but this is basically spoilers from last week's Avengers 50. We kind of talked a little bit about it, but um, Howard Stark, for some strange reasons, is, is back from the dead thanks to Mephisto. <laughs> and, and is running around as an Iron Man uh, doing his bidding. Um, to what end? We don't know, but I guess we'll find out in... Uh, going forward next up all right so here's some uh some upcoming news with regards to uh some news that regarding the upcoming x-men books so the x-men are going to meet their new destiny this spring and it could be more than one destiny so the new the new uh the new uh release of books is going to be titled destiny of x and um that's the next chapter of the X-Men franchise following the current reign of X era. So they're hinting at the involvement of multiple eras, time periods for the characters, and by extension, the entire mutant corner of the Marvel universe. So Roddicat is going to be uh, scrolling through this. You have uh, destiny of X teasers for Magneto and destiny and, uh, and Mr. Sinister. So, uh, bottom line is th- these are teasers that are going to be confirmed in uh, solicitations for comic books upcoming very soon. Yep. And on that note, um, secrets from mutant history are unleashed and vicious betrayals uh, threaten Krakoa's future in Immortal X-Men. Um which is a new series. So earlier this week, Marvel Comics announced that the next era of X-Men storytelling, Destiny of X, uh, this is the second age of Krakoa. We'll see uh, new titles emerge and existing ones go uh, undergo exciting status quo changes as endless possibilities that await mutant kind are explored. And today fans can learn uh, more about one of March 2022's launches, uh, Kieran Gilliland and Lucas Wernick's Immortal X-Men. Which I know this has been some buzz on about uh, from the internet because of uh, some new suits from the X Men, including like Storm and other folks that have been uh, shown. 
Uh, it says here, Immortal X-Men will focus on the current leaders of mutant uh, kind known as the Quiet Council in an X-Men series rife with backstabbing, shading alliances, and chilling revelations that put will put everything you thought you knew about the Krakoa's future in question. And if you're watching the video, you can see this, uh, the cover of Immortal X-Men number one, which has a Last Supper type of vibe to it. With... Um, um, Mysterious, but yet um, intentional omissions, or at least very one in particular omission, looks like. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, let's see. Like I said, uh, yeah, this is coming off after uh, Inferno and X Lives of Wolverine, X Deaths of Wolverine, uh, Trial of Magneto, and. Uh, um, some other stuff. So, and uh, like I said, that's coming March 2022. Next up. Next up, Death of Doctor Strange opens the door to a new Marvel magic legacy hero, Lyra or Lyra Bloodstone. The Bloodstone mm. family has a surprise new member who debuts just as the search, just as the search for a new Sorcerer Supreme begins. Uh, let's see here. Lyra or Lyra Bloodstone, a previously unknown daughter of the evil adventurer Ulysses Bloodstone, will debut in January 12th, Death of Doctor Strange Bloodstone number one. And now we have a first look at what she'll look like in a new design variant cover sh- uh, shown on this webpage. Uh, Lyra or Lyra Bloodstone will debut alongside her already established siblings, Elsa and Cullen Bloodstone, a pair of monster hunters who share a bond as blood relatives, but don't share much else to the point where they don't even get along normally. Okay. Which I thought Cullen was dead at this point. Cause I've heard, but I don't know. Uh, you got so, me. Yeah, I, I'm going to assume this is like the little sister of Elsa Bloodstone. Uh, and I was kind of wondering what in the world the Bloodstones had to do. I mean, obviously they, they hunt monsters, but I'm like, what do they have to do with Doctor Strange, the death of Doctor Strange? Because monsters and there's a fine line. But right, but the line. Bloodstone itself is a magical artifact, so hey, that's where so. the intersection comes. Right. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll see what comes of, of that, because uh, I think that book's coming out soon. Um, and it's written by Tenny Howard. But, and Iguara is doing the... Uh, uh, the art, I guess. So, cool. Uh, next up, move over to Spider-Man. The Spider-Bots are getting their own Marvel comic series. Go figure. Uh, Spider-Man's diminutive worker bee robots, uh, the Spider-Bots are scurrying into their own Marvel Comics limited series. Spider-Bots is a new 12-part weekly comic series uh, that it debuts Friday, digital first, on the Marvel Unlimited platform in the company's Infinity Comic format. Uh, Modoc showrunner writer Jordan Bloom Blum is writing Spiderbot and is joined by the art team of artist Alberto Albuquerque and color artist Dono Sanchez Almara, uh, both uh, who who both recently wrapped up the Web of Spider-Man series, which features the Spiderbots. And I know this because I read that series uh, well enough, which I believe that series was based off of a an amusement park ride, a theme park ride. Um, quote unquote, uh, it's been an absolute blast uh, to work with Alberto and explore the Marvel Universe through the digital eyes of the Spider-Bots. Bloom says in a Spider-Bot announcement, being a lifelong Spider-Man fan and father of two, I left it the chance to create an all-ages stories 
for both longtime Marvel zombies and new readers alike who are willing to, who are ready to thrift their first web. So I, I think by the time you see this um, article, that will be out on uh, Marvel Unlimited. If you are, I don't know if it's going to be like free for everybody or you have to uh, be in a Marvel Unlimited to be able to um, read these. But if you're interested, it's going to be there nonetheless. Next up. Next up, Cindy Moon, a.k.a. Marvel Silk, is back with a new limited series beginning in January 2022 that finds her facing off against a brand new supervillain from another world, the perils of social media, and a crisis that is an existential crisis. So, uh, writer Emily Kim and artist Takeshi Miyazawa's new series find Cindy in a new place, taking a step back to question her place in the world. But she can't be in her head all the time. There's that brand new villain we mentioned with ties to what Marvel calls ancient Korean magic and social media. So this is actually going to come out on January 19th, 2022. And the rest of this article is an interview with Emily Kim uh, Kim about this book. And uh, take a look at it. It should prove to be pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to this. Any, any new Silk content is welcome. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, yeah, we are we are fans of uh, Cindy Moon Silk around these parts. So, like, yeah, anytime we get something new is great. Um, so I am also looking forward to this. Marvel makes a major change to Ghost Rider's decades-long status quo. Um, so big changes are coming to Ghost Rider for his upcoming 50th anniversary. And one of the most notable uh, is the fact that Johnny Blaze, Johnny Blaze, the original Brimstone Avenger will no longer be in control of his hellish transformations. Um, quote, unquote, there is a lot I can't tell, tell you. Actually, excuse me, and that's central to the trouble Ghost Rider faces. Uh, writer Benjamin Percy says, um, the first issue is an oversized 40 pages, and you'll know instantly that you're reading not just a horror book, but a mystery. Um, horror and mystery rely on you not knowing what's coming. So stay tuned and assume that nothing is as it seems. Um, but here's a small tease. Johnny Blaze no longer control, has control over the spirit of vengeance. And when possessed, he has no memory of what transpired, which doesn't that kind of go back to his origins? I don't recall. That's an excellent question. I was like, it sounds very Hulk-like, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it definitely sounds very much like, uh, you know, they're going to make him a very, you know, very similar to like what used to be a version of the Hulk. Right. And according to um, uh, Percy, this will all be contextualized, but Ghost Rider is far more of a curse and terrifying presence because of it. Right. Next up. That's an interesting change. You know, something to differentiate Johnny Blaze from the other Ghost Riders, because now we have, at the very least, three main Ghost Riders in the Marvel 616. And with previous ones having existed in the previous, you know, million, you know, like, uh, you know, from, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, Avengers uh, Million BC going forward. Right. But didn't they kind of change one of them to where he's not necessarily a Ghost Rider anymore? They kind of, like broke him off to it because like yeah technically kind of is but he kind of still isn't the way they try to rebrand him again. they've done they've done a bunch of things with the johnny blaze character because they wanted well, johnny to Blaze the other one um i can't remember dude's name oh, they, made, they basically made him another robbie character. oh danny catch another... danny catch yeah right 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 they definitely made him another character recently yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. danny catch no you're correct mm-hmm. all right but so 
Just, but just to correct, because he's still kind of considered, but it's like it's kind of weird how they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, Tashin, right. I guess. No, I was about to say I got the, I got this one because you just I'm took sorry. the Ghost Rider one. Yeah. Um, all right, the Marvel Comics Library is an exclusive long-term collaboration between Tashin or Tashin and Marvel. Over the next decade, Marvel's rarest classic comics, including Spider-Man, Avengers, and Captain America, will be reproduced in their original glory in extra-large format. The library offers collectors a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to lay their hands on the world's most desirable comics. So, Toshin's extra-large format, close in size to the original artworks, Reveal startling new details in the work of Marvel's most acclaimed artists. Oh, so this is like a IDW um, artist edition, but in color. Because it's close in size to the original artwork, so it's going to be like 11 by 17 or close to it. Right, but also from according if you're or if you're watching the video, uh, you can see the gift that they're using in this article to kind of flip through the book. Mm. and it's definitely starting off with, um, you know, Amazing uh, Amazing Fantasy 15, Spidey's intro. But it also looks like some text. And they even looks like they're even putting the original um, advertisements um, advertisements in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what we're actually getting is like kind of a fancier, bigger masterpiece. Exactly. Uh, and it looks like they, we will be doing these for not only Spidey, but the Avengers. Fantastic Four and Captain America, and they're all scheduled uh, to be released in 2022, 2023. Switch. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, listen, there are people out there who collect just to fill in their bookshelves, and this is targeted right at them. Mm -hmm. I honestly might be interested in the Avengers one. Um, Oh, it also says that the first 5,000 copies of Spider-Man Volume 1 will be numbered and released as a famous first edition. Uh, the book will be available as a collector's edition, limited to a thousand copies, featuring an aluminum print cover tipped uh, into a uh, leather-bound uh, spine. You know, basically going to do it up for the first run. Um, so, and it's going to be probably pricey because I could have sworn I saw a price on this, maybe not here, where it might be like 120 bucks or something uh, for the for, for the volume, but I'm not sure. Like I know I saw it on Twitter somewhere before I saw this article. Regardless, hey, if you're interested, there you go, go for it. Uh, Star Wars, The Book of Boba Fett, Black Series pre-orders with Boba Fett and Fennec Shand and more. But yeah, so there's going to be a Black Series uh, Boba Fett from The Book of Boba Fett, uh, Fennec Shand for the same series, which neither one of them, which that series is not out yet. But also, um, some other folks, Stormtrooper from Jedi, Migs Mayfield, uh, Boba Fett, Tython, Bib Fortuna, uh, Princess Leia from the Yavin Ceremony, Dr. Evazin from, I guess, I'm going to assume from the the, the Mandalorian. I don't know. Panda Baba, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and all of those are, pre-orders are up for all of those. Um, and I guess I can quickly go through this other article, which I won't, uh, which has some which at the very least shows um, some close-ups of uh, Phoenix Chan's uh, figure. Let's scroll through that very quickly. Yeah. That's like a that's like a decent likeness of Ming-Na Wen on that figure. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. great, but it's decent. 
And I appreciate yeah. that uh, that they made the the Book of Boba Fett Boba Fett figure a little heavier around the midsection. <laughs> so you know that's uh, you know it's obviously much more true to the uh, the show. Yeah, and definitely a pretty decent likeness of uh, Tamara Morrison. Morrison. You mean Aquaman's dad? I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so as I'm scrolling through the the Boba Fett figure, there, there you go. Uh, next up, though. Next up, Doctor. DC's right. DC unleashes Batman '89's Robin on the GCPD. Uh, Roddy Cat mentioned this already in his uh, review of Batman '89 number four. Yeah, it is a Robin. It's none. It's basically an amalgam of one that you've already seen before, and but this is kind of a new one. Weirdly enough, I don't know. Or you may have seen before a more recent Robin, I should say. So we don't necessarily need to go into that. Uh, Nightwing writer Tom Taylor teases a Teen Titans reunion fans have been waiting for. Uh, so Tom Taylor, well, basically, while responding to a fan request on Twitter to bring Wally West, aka The Flash, back into Dick Grayson's life, Taylor quote tweeted the call to action, writing, hmm, we'll see what we can do. Uh, hashtag Nightwing. Uh, the, the writer accompanied the tweet with a GIF uh, image of the pairing from Young Justice, Specifically, the season one episode, Welcome to Happy Harbor. Uh, fans begged Taylor in the comments for the reunion of the two Titans, and he has already written both characters into his work before. Now, I don't know why I should say this, but I feel compelled to say that, hey, they can't really take um, fan suggestions because that's the kind that gets into a legal thing, which almost pretty much said that he probably already had something in the works before this came about. Right. No, yeah, because uh uh it's it's one of those, you know, chicken and the egg things. Mm-hmm. So chicken or the egg. So Exactly. Which and reminds me I need to catch up on Young Justice. This season seems to be kinda of going all over the place, but then again, so did the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I was about to say I've been watching it. I mean I've been catching up on it and uh it's a definitely all over the place. Yeah. Which like the last the, the last season was also Yeah, like, I mean I'm not like the biggest young justice supporter. You know, I, I, it's not like I was the, one of the people who was uh, signing the petition to get it, to bring it back. But I'm watching this, and I'm kind of like, oh, okay. You know? Yeah, but it kind of, yeah, they kind of end up paying off in the end, so hopefully this will be the case. We'll yeah, see. We'll see. All right, next up, uh, Robin gets Batman and Alfred the perfect Christmas gift in DC's Tis the Season to be Freezing preview. Good Lord, Tis the Season <laughs> to be Freezing. Uh, so this is a Batman the Animated Series style uh, story. Yes. Uh, but uh, this this book on sale next week uh, is this year's DC Comics Holiday Special and will feature everything from a Firestorm Killer Frost face-off to a Batman the Animated Series-esque tale and even an appearance by the recently introduced JLQ Justice League Queer. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there's a bunch of these these stories with the list of the creators here on this page. And uh, the window shopping story features Mr. Freeze, Robin, Tim Drake, Batman, Bruce Wayne, and even Alfred Pennyworth. And that is also listed here on this page. Okay. Indeed. Yes. And before anybody else says it, um, Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin laid an egg. The Batman has lost his wheel. The Joker got away. Get that out of the way right now. 
Um, the Bing Quinn and Catwoman solve COVID. Bang. And Danny DeVito's Batman comic. According to Polygon. I was about to say, uh, um, hyperbole much? Eh, you know. So let's see. So basically, you know, we've, we've known about Danny DeVito and his uh, story in the uh, Gotham City Villains Anniversary Giant, which I believe is out. I know. I believe it's out. I got me. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, but I've not had a chance to read it. So, yeah. Danny DeVito wrote a Penguin story, and uh, he, uh, which says, was basically he and the Catwoman team up, have lots of sex, and solve COVID, COVID-19 pandemic, according to this article. Um, and the article kind of goes on from there. That's all I wanted to say about it. Next. Next, uh, Batman, Robin, Talia, Al Ghul, and Deathstroke are about to go to war with each other. Batman writer Joshua Williamson is spearheading DC's Shadow War, which sees these aforementioned characters engaged in an epic encounter. The three-month crossover kicks off in March with Shadow War Alpha Number 1, uh, written by Williamson and illustrated by Victor Bogdanovich. According to DC, Slade Wilson commits an unthinkable act, and Talia al Ghul, the daughter of the demon, is out for blood! The League of Shadows is out to murder Deathstroke and destroy Deathstroke, Inc., and it's up to Batman and Robin to track Slade down and bring him to justice. But do they? All right. So, yeah, there's some, uh, I guess, cover images that are here. Um, I guess apparently in March, uh, I guess this doesn't interfere with, uh, Bruce Wayne's trips around the, you know, like out of Gotham, I guess. And we see yeah. here also, uh, the, the re the, the kind of Batman incorporated costume that he's seen wearing at the end of Batman 118 this week. Mm-hmm. So that is apparently going to be the costume that he's going to be wearing, uh, for the foreseeable future. Wait, I'm sorry. Who? Batman. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, and, and also apparently, cause based on these images, Robin's getting a new suit, Damian Wayne's getting a new suit, and I guess he's taking up Robin again, because as, as we last saw, which uh, outside of the fact that he's, the book he's starting in right now is called Robin, right? he had pretty much given up the mantle of Robin, uh, and it looks like some um, some elements of that Robin book is coming into this also, right. for aka characters, but also makes sense, because Joshua Williamson, who's writing uh, both this Batman book and Robin, there. <laughs> it's all it's all connected, folks. Right. Somehow, some way. Exactly. And I guess they, I guess Damien and Bruce must have reconciled somewhere along the way because they yeah. were still, as far as I remember, were still on the outs. Uh-huh. Williamson is also writing this Deathstroke book as well, so it's all his corner of the universe. Oh yeah, I guess he is writing Deathstroke. Deathstroke. Yeah, I've been reading that, um, but I totally blanked on that. So, yeah, there you go. Um, some sad news, uh, folks. Um, Hall of Fame writer, uh, excuse me, uh, artist. Uh, well, writer also. Well, yeah, he has written. I forgot. That's just true. But um, George Perez, the, leg- the legendary, w- most would say, as um, uh, if you're especially of, of a certain vintage, uh, took to Facebook to announce that he has been diagnosed with stage three pancreatic cancer. Uh, his doctors estimate that he has six months to a year left. And rather than undergoing time consuming treatment, Perez has decided to spend time with his family, friends and family. 
Uh, the creator also stated that he wanted to do one more signing event for his fans again. Um, like, if you don't know who George Perez is, is um, you need to look it up. You need to look it up. That's yeah. what it comes down to. You need to look it up. You know, he's right. always been one of my favorites. He's one of the the most uh, influential artists um, mm-hmm. on on my collecting habits, on my comic book reading, on my art. And, you know, I, it's funny. I, I definitely have a blind spot when it comes to some of his work because, remember, he helped reboot Wonder Woman post-crisis. And sure. that's why I wanted to emphasize that he has written in the past. He actually wrote Wonder Woman for, like, roughly, you know, 60-plus issues right. back then. He actually was working on that into the early 90s post-crisis, which is wild to me because, obviously, I wasn't into Wonder Woman at the time. I was just discovering my love for the X-Men during the, uh, the, 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 the mid-80s going into the early 90s. So um, I definitely was not paying much attention to Perez's work on Wonder Woman. But it's a big deal for a lot of fans of the Wonder Woman character, um, you know, that particular run. Because it established a lot of things like multicultural Amazons. Mm-hmm. You know that's actually one of the, the one of the big things that uh, that that came out of that run, as well as you know uh, tying uh, Diana more closely to the Greek pantheon. That was one mm-hmm. of the, the 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 aspects of the uh, of his run on the book that became pretty important. But for me, my personal uh, connection to George Perez takes me all the way back to. It doesn't take me to Avengers. It doesn't take me to Fantastic Four because that's where he started out. You know, he did some Deathlock stuff, some Inhuman stuff, some really early Marvel stuff that predates me as a as a person and as a comic book reader. But when I came up, uh, like finally understanding what comics were and asking for them and begging for them and having cousins give me copies of stuff, what I what I found was the New Teen Titans. By uh, George Perez and Marv Wolfman. And uh, this is a, a, a spoiler for what I'm uh, going to post probably before I go to bed on Instagram. Of uh, I'm going to turn off my virtual background for a second. And uh, put this up. So my background is off, right? Yes. This is. Hold on, let me do something real quick and give you a close up. There we go. This is my copy of the New Teen Titans number one. I actually don't have the New Teen Titans first appearance, which is a Brave and the Bold issue. And unfortunately, that's probably going to go up in value uh, sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. But uh, this issue I have signed by George Perez, Marv Wolfman, and the inker Romeo Tangal. Uh, who happens to be of Filipino descent, so shout out to uh, the Asian representation, even way back when, in like 1980 or 1981, when this book was uh, first published. But, um, you know, I came across the New Teen Titans later than this. You know, I I hunted this down when I was in college, and I filled in my run of the Wolfman Perez um, uh, New Teen Titans. But uh, I came to this uh, a little bit later, but I loved his work. His work was so detailed. And I learned about, you know, comic book art and artists and following specific artists based on his name. 
I wanted to find out what else he had done. So that's how influential he was on me and my eye, my artistic eye. So mm-hmm. eventually I, I, you know, I, I learned that he had earlier books. Uh, he had done earlier stuff and I never really gone back to it, but I definitely uh, filled in my new Teen Titans run. And then when he came back and did um, Hulk Future Imperfect, which Roddy Cat still hasn't read, which I am imploring him to read because which, it is good. Which was before finding this out, uh, a couple of days prior to finding this out, I actually have on deck to read. It's queued so. up in Roddy Cat's Marvel Unlimited. So. Or- in my tab, actually, in my browser tab. Well, there it is. So ultimately, you know, that was kind of uh, one of his uh, comebacks as well as uh, Infinity Gauntlet to the, the Marvel corner of uh, comic books. And, you know, he did a, a great run on Avengers when they came back from Heroes Reborn. And mm-hmm. obviously, the crowning achievement of his – the crowning achievements, I think, of his career – were probably one crisis on infinite earths for DC when he and Marv Wolfman basically rebooted the DC universe for better or for worse, you know, because they kind of lost me as a fan because I didn't want to necessarily learn all the new stuff at that age. I was like in junior high school or late elementary school when that stuff happened. So I wasn't, I wasn't a big fan of the idea of crisis, but I know a lot of people love that era of DC comics. Um, And also the you know and, and and secondly I think his other crowning achievement was the the redo the the the, the reincarnation of JLA Avengers slash Avengers JLA that happened unbelievably almost twenty years ago now and I'll tell you that one of the things that came up out of this announcement that George Perez's uh, health is uh, you know in in dire straits he's got a terminal diagnosis. There's been a movement online to uh, to have DC, Warner Brothers, and Disney slash Marvel come to an agreement and put Avengers JLA or JLA Avengers back into print and make the uh, the, the proceeds, the profits go straight to uh, George Perez's health care, uh, you know, in the time that he has left. So, you know, I agree with that. I own – Two versions of Avengers JLA. I have it in the four uh, individual issues, and I have the um, the the hardcover trade paperback signed by. Whoa! Oh, we're back, sorry. everybody. Yes, yeah, sorry about that, folks. My PC decided to said it don't want to work no more. Right. It was too sad because of the George Perez news, and it just couldn't bear hearing. My hearing me, Agent 70, just go on and on and wax poetic about George Perez. But in short, uh, you know, let's use this time. If you follow me on uh, Instagram or Twitter, you've seen this post. Let's use this time to give George Perez his flowers, his due, his accolades and appreciate and show our appreciation and love for an artist who was, you know, impacted so many with his art and his writing. So, uh, you know, you know, that, 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 that wraps up that particular discussion, but we're going to be, uh, seeing tributes to George Perez in the, in the near future. I'll be posting up stuff. Uh, like I said, this is a preview that I showed earlier, my cover, my, uh, my copy of new teen Titans number one. I'll be posting that, uh, probably tonight before I hit the sack. So, um, you know, just, uh, be prepared for that because he deserves all the flowers we can give him. And 
Indeed. Um, All right. So that said, that's yeah. that. I've got the next story, actually. Yep, the last two stories. All right. Uh, Library of American Comics and Euro Comics are moving from IDW to Clover Press. The first project will be project will be Terry and the Pirates, the Master Collection. Um, the Library of American Comics, LOAC, and its European Comics counterpart, Eurocomics, which were formerly published by IDW up until now, will be moving to Clover Press, starting with the new Terry and the Pirates collection, according to Dean Mullaney, the co-founder and creative director for both lines. Okay. Yeah, cool. Uh, last but not least... Uh, the Firefly Holiday Special Number One uh, celebrates the season in space. So this is a, um, an exclusive preview, according to this article from CBR, of the Firefly Holiday Special Number One. Um, if you know anything about Firefly and the crew of Serenity, you know, you know they they've. Um, have had some legs in the comic books as of recently, and uh, it looks like they're getting a holiday special. And this article is pretty much a preview of said um, um, a holiday special, courtesy of Boom Studios. And I won't necessarily go into that, but you know what of the synopsis of whatnot. But you can check it out in the show notes. Uh, and with that folks we um are going to come into the end of this here podcast um but first uh one last ad read our last ad read of the night is for wink the personalized wine club wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door from rosé to cabernet to toronte wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover have you ever tried an orange wine wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your taste and delivered directly to your door wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping you can pick your own bottles or let wink choose and match to your taste it doesn't cost a thing to become a member and you can skip or cancel anytime and now the listeners of the comic book chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of twenty dollars off your first order to place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash wink. That's cspn.us forward slash W-I-N-C. Wink wines through CSPN. Do it today. Um, um, I may or may not uh, could use a glass of wine after trying to edit this here particular <laughs> <laughs> episode but uh we're not gonna worry about the right now because as we uh end this here podcast I'd like to thank each and every one of you folks from coming out here just going to say right here at the top or reiterate here at the, uh, at the end of this is that we are going on uh movie protocol again next week so no uh no recording on next thursday because i December we'll be at uh, spider-man no way home um, I may at some point also watch it that weekend. We will see. I don't know. But regardless, like I said, there will be not be uh, a recording on next Thursday. Right. And stay, you can stay tuned to our um, um, social media to uh, get to when we do record. Right. So thankfully, the, the Thursday following will be the eve of Christmas Eve. So we will be having a show that Thursday. It is, uh, you know, it's not going to, it's just a budding right up against the holiday. Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, look out for that. And given that it's the end of the year, like 
that it should be relatively light. But then again, we've said that before. So we'll right. <laughs> out of us doing two weeks worth of whatever books end up ends up coming out. And the last couple of episodes of um of uh, Hawkeye. Hawkeye, right? Yep. And of course, we may have some impressions on um, No Way Home. Yeah, no way. Between one or two of those episodes, well, between one of those episodes, anyway. So, if not the it's not the first one, it's probably the next one. Right. Uh, and with that, folks, uh, I have been Radicat. You can find me at Radicat on Twitter. You can find me at News Notes Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. Agent underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, ten, uh, excuse me, uh, dirt uh, at PCN underscore dirt on Twitter, Pop Culture Network on Twitter, Pop Culture Network.com, and all the umbrella sites therein. And the Osiris said this year, this ish, uh, Tim DOGG98 on Twitter, uh, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the Combo Chronicles Twitter account, uh, the Click Nation on Twitter. That's V K L I Q N A T I O N, all one word, and theclicknation.com. But mostly you can find Tim at uh, comicbook.com, where he's over there writing his face off. You find this here podcast on the Coastal of the Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. Uh, you can also find this on your podcast virtual place of choice. Uh, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coast of the Podcast Network SoundCloud page. We are not SoundCloud rappers, I assure you. Mm. Uh, you can also find us most most times recording every Thursday night, 9.30-ish p.m. on uh, the YouTube channel of The Click Nation. That's youtube.com slash The Click Nation. Uh, and also twitch.tv slash Comic Book Chronicles, all one word. Make sure to hit like and subscribe and hit the notification button to uh, keep yourself tuned into all of our recordings. That goes for audio and video. And hey, maybe help us get maybe like 25 or 26 more, 25 more followers on Twitch so that we can maybe, uh, such as times like this, put up whole versions of uh, this uh, here podcast. And I know we, we've been saying we're going to uh, stream a little bit more on uh, Twitch, other stuff uh, of, um, you know, like nature. And we will, because I have some stuff on the, on the agenda, but just haven't really gotten around to it. So, you know, stay around, stay tuned for that kind of stuff. All right. And pay attention to uh, my social media because we didn't have a chance to, because of our technical difficulties, have a chance to do Toy Corner this week. But I've got some new figures that I got uh, as a result of taking advantage of Cyber Monday, specifically through GameStop. So, uh, I mean, you want to do that right now? No, it's like fine. You? It's fine because we've got enough to deal with uh, with our technical difficulties. <laughs> Yes, my apologies for that. My, my, like I said, my computer decided it didn't want to do anything. Anymore. It was too sad. We know. It actually blue screen. So yes, it probably was sad hearing about uh, Judge Perez. Um, but that being said, folks, like I said, we will be back. Uh, stay tuned to our uh, social networks to when we will record next week. Uh, this has been the Comic Book Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. We're gonna have a-